0: Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. Today on the show, we're wrapping up the Turned Out of Punk live tour with a big one, everyone. It is the live in New York episode with Tony Rettman, Andy Capper, Meredith Graves. Walter Schreifels, uh, Chris O'Toole, Dave Martin, uh, Tom Sharpling, and myself. It's a jam-packed, crazy episode of the show. More on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address. So you can send me an email. You can also find me over on various forms of social media at left for Damien. You can also get in touch with us on Facebook. There's a Facebook page run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. You can uh, send a Facebook message over there. You can send stuff into the show. We post stuff from the show that gets sent in on there too. So if you use Facebook, that's a great resource for you. If you don't use Facebook, you can go over to tumblr.com, uh, turnoutapunk.tumblr.com, where we also stick that stuff that gets sent into the show up there as well, you want to support the show, do you, you say? Well, to do that, you can tell all your friends about it because that's the best way to do it. Uh, the other way to help the show is by subscribing to it and writing a review and rating it on iTunes if you use iTunes. And if you're new to the show and you're like, how do I listen to this show other than the way I'm currently listening to it? Well, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on uh, um, I think someone told me we're going to be on, like, that iHeartRadio thing, which is funny because I think that the people involved with uh, the people at MuchMusic now who fired me, so, ha, <laughs> fooled you, MuchMusic. Back involved some weird way, I guess. Anyway, you can find me on various forms of uh, stuff that you listen to podcasts on there. And,
1: uh,
0: yeah, that's about it. Also, if you do go over to iTunes and subscribe to this thing and You know, you will see that there are other shows involved in the Turned Out Punk universe on there. There's, of course, The Mighty Oil and Flowers, which is hosted by Buddha Blaze and myself, and we talk about cannabis on that show. There's going to be a new episode dropping very soon of that. There's also Clobbering Time, hosted by Tom Bryan and myself. That's going to be coming out hopefully pretty soon as well, maybe post-Royal Rumble. Who knows? Who knows? Hopefully... Uh, It's been kind of busy over here, as why this show is also late. You will also see on that feed, though, that there is Turned Out a Punk Footnotes, which is hosted by Chris O'Toole and myself. Chris O'Toole is on the show this week. And also, because these live shows have been so dense with information, we on Turned Out a Punk Footnotes have been calling in the uh, auxiliary members of the team We've called in Dave Martin and David Up, and Dave Martin is also on the show today. So that brings us to the show today. Today on the show, it is the live from New York episode of Turned Out a Punk. Uh, I did this a few, gosh, now a month or so ago, more than a month or so ago, but it was a unbelievable way to cap off a really fun tour. Chris O'Toole and myself set out from Toronto. We had done, of course. By this point, Boston, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, and we were finishing up in the mighty NYC. And what better way to finish up in New York City than by having Tony Retman on, the author of the New York Hardcore book and also the author of the Midwest Hardcore book and just a general fixture in the New Jersey, New York hardcore scene for a number of years. And then you also have to have on Andy Capper Liverpool expat, New York City resident for some time now, and also one of my best buds in the whole world, and what better way to be in New York than by having a giant argument on stage for other people to watch, so that's what Andy and I do, and you will hear it very soon, and then of course after that, we had to bring to the stage the legend, the legendary, beyond legendary, what is that, what is beyond legendary? Um, um, epically legendary, I guess. Anyway, Walter Shrifles from Gorilla Biscuits, Quicksand, and I could run through the rest of his bands, but that would fill up the whole rest of this episode. So, you know, look him up on Discogs. He's been in a couple. He's written a couple classic songs in the, uh, hardcore punk post hardcore, uh, alternative, I guess, broadly speaking, a milieu. And, uh, he's a genius. And we are talking about Moondog on this show. And if you do not know who Moondog is, you have just found an unopened Christmas present under the Walter Schreifel's Christmas tree. Because trust me, Moondog is friggin' awesome. And then after that, we of course have Meredith Graves come back to the show. Probably the, I would say the most requested part two ever in this show's history. Yep. I would say that's fairly safe to assume. And so we have a great conversation with her. And then we finish off with one of the main inspirations behind the show, obviously also Colt Cabana, but Colt Cabana's not in a punk. So he, uh, you know, I want, I would love to have him on the show at some point. He's been on the wrestling show, but you know, it'd be a different sort of conversation than turn to a punk. No, we have the main other influence on this show, Tom Sharpling of the best show coming on to finish up. New York City. It's a shame we couldn't have Tom Sharpling and last week's guest, Philly Boy Roy, meet on Turn Out of Punk, but that's why you listen to the best show. So you can hear the two of them meet on there. So anyway, Tom Sharpling is on the show as well to finish it up. And that's what's what's left to say. I'm not gonna talk anymore or yammer on about this episode, other than other than to say you have nothing else to do but sit back, relax, and enjoy Tony Rettman. Andy Capper, Meredith Graves, Walter Schreifels, Tom Sharpling, Chris O'Toole, Dave Martin, and myself on Turned Out a Punk live from okay, technically Brooklyn, New York. Hello and welcome to the first ever live edition of Turned Out of Punk in New York. It's like uh, this is I've done I've got to have an amazing week so far and I won't punish you with hearing humble brags about the details but this is the one I've been really looking forward to. There's a lot of old friends coming up on the stage. We're having a really good time. This is like uh, an amazing array of people. If you've listened to the show before, you know these people. These are all the part twos that I've been trying to get to, and they're going to be here now for us to enjoy. Um, but if you haven't heard of this podcast, what it is, is it's a podcast where every week I come on and I just start with a very simple question for all the guests, which is, how did you get into punk? And we just kind of nerd out about music, and uh, I get to do that now for you. So these are going to be uh, some uh, amazingly concise, Interviews because we've got a lot of people to get to tonight. And also, we have a very special feature on Turn It Up Punk. It's not just a normal podcast where you do the interview and then it's over. We have another show called Turn It Up Punk Footnotes, where each and every week we listen to the interview and then we just really nerd out. Like if you think the normal podcast is geeky, Footnotes is where it gets <laughs> We talk about pressing information about records, we talk about discographies, we talk about all sorts of other BS. And for that, it's not just me. I have a co-host, and now I'd like to welcome the stage from Welland, Ontario. Your friend and my friend, Chris O'Toole. <laughs> God damn it, Chris! You're always before your entrance music.
2: This is the fourth day
0: in this. I've is never gotten it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to play it super long, too? I'm not going to play the whole song. That's actually Chris and my uh, band, Correct. Bergenfield Four. Correct. Um, we don't have records for sale, and uh, it's not on YouTube, so you'll never hear it. But, <laughs> um, but we have a, a group of dedicated listeners that write into the show each and every week, but there are two listeners that write in each and every week that are near and dear to our hearts, and they are now regular contributors, and uh, I guess like co-hosts as well. You know, like if Chris and I are the hosts, these are the co-hosts, and we have one of those people here tonight <laughs> from New York City by way of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the King of the Records, Dave Martin. <clears throat> There you go, Dave. There we go. So, is that your there? people, are you ready? Yeah, this is we're great. ready. It's going to be exciting. So, what is your guys' job tonight?
2: Our job is to passively observe and then impart uh, opinions uh, after the fact. <laughs> Correct mistakes? Correct mistakes, possibly. And there uh, will look, have to be a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, look up things on the internet for points of reference, and I think that's about covers it. Anyway.
0: That's your jobs. Those are your jobs. And so they're gonna be sitting right there, kind of like the uh, old men in the Muppet Show, yeah. but without microphones, so they can't say shit. <laughs> and they can yell. You can all hear it. Don't please don't yell. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna get started. So, uh, do you guys want to take your spots? Yeah. Should sure. take your spots. Banish us. Yes. Yeah. Banish you. Get get to your corner, Chris. As I like to say on the show. For all your regular listeners, that's our favorite part. When I do that, no.
3: Uh,
0: okay. Now I'm gonna to welcome to the stage my first guest and this is someone as I said this is a show of part twos but I've been trying to do this part one forever and it's never worked out this is one of my favorite authors this is one of a one of one of the one of the great record minds that I've gotten to meet someone that played in the band chain of thread please welcome the stage Tony Retman everyone. Welcome to the show. Uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, we'll get to the chain of thread. Oh, I, I, I hope you stole my fucking heart. All right. <laughs> so Tony, you are an author. You've written uh, two books now, right? And uh, three, three, one ish. One's be coming. Coming out. Can we yeah. talk about that or no? Sure.
3: Why not?
0: Okay. Okay. Well, well <laughs> first chairs. let's yeah, sure. talk about the first ones you wrote. Okay. You did Why Be Something? Uh, why be Something? You're not. Yep. Which is a amazing oral history of kind of the Midwest, Detroit. Touch yeah. and go kind of yeah. scene, yeah. and then you did the, of course the New York Hardcore book, which came out two years ago now. Uh,
3: yeah, like December two thousand fourteen.
0: This guy, this guy must know something about this genre. Um, and you did that book, and then you're working on a new book right now as well. Yeah,
3: it's finished up. Uh, it's a same. It's a article. It's a book about straight edge, kind of oral history. Same thing. Uh, they're telling me it should be out summer two thousand seventeen.
0: Well. I want to talk all about that stuff. I want to talk about the process of writing. Okay. But that is not something we do on this show. I've, I know that. We do the one thing on this show and one thing only. Mm. And so I'm going to start this one off the way I start them all off, Tony. Okay. Which is, how would you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came
3: across the genre? Yeah. Um, as you know, I have an older brother. His name's Don. He's 12 years older than me. Uh, he had to share a room with me uh, because my family... Didn't make much money. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm sure he was really psyched that if he had to share <laughs> a room with a five-year-old. But um, so he was like a typical 70s suburban New Jersey teenager, like a Peter Bagg character, like flannel shirts and Aerosmith, and, and read every little corner of every rock magazine. Mm-hmm. So reading every corner of every rock magazine, he found out about punk rock. Uh, he went to college and fell in with like college radio people, it was like 1978, and I remember him coming home one Saturday afternoon with like, to me it was like a, a teetering pile of records, but it was probably like 10, mm-hmm. seven inches, just still a lot. Um, he just brought in all these seven inches that I never, all I ever knew were 45s in a paper sleeve with a big hole, and these are in a picture sleeve, and they had the tiny hole, and they were on colored vinyl, and I was like, what the fuck is this? And uh, the first thing he put on was the um, the day of the world turned glow by the X ray Specs. Oh yeah, and that was that's on like, Color vinyl, right? That's on like orange. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Um, that was the copy. That was uh, exactly that. Yeah, he said that. I'm like that
3: must be the Yeah. Record. So I remember he like put that on like kind of like I have three sisters too, and he put it on kind of like so. What do you think of this? And my sister's just like this sucks. I'm like, <laughs> and um, I was just like as soon as her voice, like Holly Styrene's voice came out, I was like, oh, this is fucking crazy. crazy. Yeah. And then, like, I guess because he was like, well, like, he already cleared the room, so I was like, might as well go for broke. And he put on um, Orphans, the Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. Yeah. And I even, like, I was, like, seven years old. I was like, yeah, this shit's great. Like, (laughs) I was totally exposed to things that I shouldn't have been as a young child. (laughs) Um, So that was it. Like, and then he became a real big part of, he became a big wheel at the Cracker Factory. Uh, He became a big wheel at the, uh, college radio station he like became the program director and then like a dude that that was at the college radio station then moved to LA Mm -hmm. or he was from there and moved back and then he started sending my brother these mixtapes of like nervous breakdown seven inch and all the stuff and that's how like the hardcore thing kind of came in and that was like I was it's like nine years old but that was the thing I was like yeah that's fucking cool because even though there's an age gap like to look at like a necros record and know that they were like 16 I was like well look that's closer than Johnny Rotten yeah. or whatever. So that was like the hook in the mouth sort of was the, the Midwest stuff. So that was kind of why the first book was based on that stuff. That's awesome. So
0: where did you kind of go from there? You're like nine years old. I guess would you, were you able to go to shows? Uh,
3: eventually, my mother allowed my brother to take me to see um, Black Flag. It was the day before I was, I was 11 years old. It was the day before my twelfth birthday, so I try to say it's my twelfth. It was uh, I, I try to say I was twelve to make it sound more normal. Yeah. But it's actually I was eleven. Wow. Um, and it was Black Go with eleven, Tony. Don't do it. I'm only now. weird enough. Like I don't even to, like, so to a show when I was eleven years old, you're like, fucking weird enough to do that here. That whole extra day really makes it difficult. <laughs> <laughs> to me. Um, so yeah, the Black Flag, Saccharine Trust and October faction. Not necessarily a hardcore show, but a show, nonetheless. Well, yeah. What
0: was your take? Like, you actually was heard, totally break-down. Yeah, you've heard breakdown*. Yeah, because
3: you've heard his Breakdown*. Were you familiar? And I heard *My War* before okay. that. And all okay. That stuff. And I kind of, I've, I've talked about this before in other interviews. Like, you know, fanzines are sort of like comic books to me. Like, my brother would bring them home, and I look at the pictures, and I was like, oh, that's what it's gonna be like. Like I would you, like, or right the back of the *Negative Approach* it's like, oh, it's gonna be like that. Yeah. And then I go and like *October Faction's just like, wow, like this <laughs> long ass jam. And I'm like, I don't get this. What's going on? And um, but I mean, I'm not dissing it. It was great, but it was totally over my head. Yeah, but well, then we like the bum out. That's like the beginning of the bum out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Ross came out in the shorty shorts, and I was like, what the fuck. <laughs> um, but the next week, was
0: there actually short sure, before yeah. I let you gloss over? Was there a lot of violence at that show? Like, what was the crowd like?
3: No, really, I was expecting a lot of violence, and it, I, I remember like standing on like a, a folding chair and like mm-hmm. watching the pit. And like, I was sort of like, man, that's not really that scary. Yeah. But to go ahead, the next week there was a show at a place called the Court Tavern in New Brunswick. There was like an all it was an all ages show, and like JFA played. But then like all the bands that played underneath him, it was actually Sun City Girls played too, which is pretty weird. But then well, but they, place- Placebo Records tour, I guess. <laughs> were like. Well, they were on tour with JFA. Yeah, because Placebo, right? Be, yeah, yeah, they were on Placebo. But all the bands under that were like Death Before Dishonor. <laughs> These super aggro New <laughs> yeah. York hardcore bands. So I saw that and I'm like, yeah, that's what I fucking wanted. That right there. Like, yeah. I remember the same thing, like standing on a chair watching the pit, and like, Ooh, god. Ugh, yeah. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Um, so that was like again a hook in the mouth of like yeah, like, that's that's the shit to get into rather than like, whatever the SST record stuff, which is fine and dandy. But I was like 12 years old. I was angry. Yeah.
0: You know? Your brother's bringing home the fanzines. Are you going to the store and buying your own records at this point, or are you still kind of listening to what he
3: has? I didn't go out and buy my own records until he moved out of the house, and that was he kind had of. Had to. Yeah, that's where the divide <laughs> kind of happened, because he moved out and he wasn't kind of guiding the way in a, in a way. Yeah. And he was getting more into like, you know, like it was 1985 and 1986. Most people were in that first wave of hardcore were getting into like whatever Sonic Youth and the Swans, yeah, and stuff like that. I didn't want anything to do with that, <laughs> and so I remember seeing a fanzine, and there was an interview with Youth of Today in it. And that, that again, I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I want. And I remember when that, so it was before the Seven came out, I remember the Seven came into where he works, still now, Prince of Record changed, and me like being like, oh, shit, this looks awesome. And I remember him looking at it, shaking his head, and he was reading the lyrics, he's like, this is clearly a joke. He was like, these guys are having fun with you, like, there's no way they believe this. I'm like,
4: no, they don't, what are you talking about?
3: Um, so that was the next, Thing was like the divide happened, were and you, I got I, way get, more into hardcore. Were you? Did you know about straight at that point? Oh we like about, stuff, I get yeah, totally. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was totally. I thought yeah. I knew about what it was, and I thought it was cool because, you know, I grew up with older siblings, mm-hmm. so I was like a kid watching like my older siblings like party and smoke weed and all this stuff. My parents drank too, so like my idea of punk rock—the only thing in my ten-year-old brain I could like wrap around—it was like punk rock is just the opposite of everything. Yeah. Like, so everybody is drinking and doing this stuff, so I guess this is punk. Like, the straightest thing is the opposite of it. So, yeah, that makes sense to me. So, yeah, I I got onto that uh, wagon. Were there any local bands kind
0: of happening around you that stuck out to you at that point? Like, you're young, right? Yeah, well, at at
3: that point in Trenton, actually in the suburbs of Trenton, there was a band called Feudal Effort that did a demo, um, and there was a band called CDS uh, Community Distress Signal. Okay. And they were actually really good. They were like DRI. But I don't know. They did demos and stuff. And that was it in Trenton. And then there was a band called Scornflakes who were not really hardcore, but they played hardcore shows. <laughs> they have an LP, right? Yeah, Scorn an in level? the USA. And I just found a cassette of theirs that my brother plays guitar on. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. So there Everybody you go. Everybody cares about that. So, I care. Um,
0: you, you can tell by the audience reaction, yeah. just being louder than mine, that everyone was blown away, but yeah. um, I'm pretty stoked about it.
3: Anyway, so yeah, they were like kind of a flipperish kind of band, but they always got stuck on the hardcore shows. They played that Black Flag, um, Sackra and show too. Okay. But that was it. Like, of course, there was AOD and Bedlam, Yeah. And, but they were like north north of us, and there was the mother record scene, but like nobody, honestly, nobody cared about that, about like that, that I
0: find that amazing. I, I talked to Terry T. Shout out to Terry T. Awesome, awesome, uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, and she was saying that like yeah like that mother record stuff is like just largely no one saw
3: it like no no they were in their own little bubble yeah. and like anytime I was like hey like at a records like say I was at Princeton record change and like, like my brother was like hey what's this is this cool no
4: and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I
3: so it was always like partners in crime yeah matter, uh, your thugs.
0: There we go. Yeah. That was the band you were trying to think of, Derek. Yeah. Throwing down thousands yeah. of dollars of records. Well,
3: Partners in Crime actually was this record, like the radio station that my brother DJ'd at, like me and a friend of mine would always pull that record out and just laugh at it because it looked so stupid. And we actually smashed it with a hammer. <sighs> like we smashed like what could be like a mortgage payment right now. Yeah. Like, can you imagine that? It's
0: ridiculous. I, like, I, I just think... Can you would... imagine that record people pay for? That's, a, <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's, the, that's the big thing. That's, I think it must be the most shocking thing for people in New Jersey is finding out that Mother Records <laughs> was the one you should have been putting your money Yeah, for. like
3: not the buy our records. No. Yeah. That's
0: exactly. the that's the Apple stocks of New Jersey hardcore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. totally.
3: It's 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 pretty crazy. But yeah, nobody cared about that
4: stuff
0: at that time. So you heard you through today. Yeah. Um and that I guess that that you know is your scene at a point. Like that's the stuff you're kinda gravitating. Yeah, to. that was yeah.
3: like where I like kind of came into my own as it were. Like my brother was gone. I wasn't following him around. My friend, um, Tim McMahon, and I started doing a fanzine for Common Sense, and we interviewed all those, like, Bus gets you for today. Turning point, enough, release, live, all that late 80s stuff, and we were, that was totally our um, our thing. Yeah, like, that was like, that was the point in hardcore punk, uh, even though I was going to shows with my brother at that point, like, that was where it became my own. Like, I like had a scene, and I was, you know, Doing unconscious networking. Kind what of was of the first? Like what
0: was the first show like that you went to? Because that's like you always hear about that, and you, you, it's in your book too. In New York hardcore, that that was like the birth of a new scene. you oh, told totally. Yeah. In New York, so what was the first time you got ex- Like, saw you? Yeah, like you today, like uh, or any of the bands from that kind of.
3: I saw you today at uh, Radnor High School in Philadelphia. In like a, a like gym? a high school gym, yeah. How how like seeing them in a the gym? That's you know? fucking awesome. I don't think Walter. I don't think was in the band by like then. And then they played at Club Bazazz in Philadelphia. Okay. With side by side, that was when like Gavin was in the band. Um. And yeah, I don't know. And then I don't think I saw Bold until they played City Gardens. There was like a show Youth of the Day in Bold that was right. When they when they broke up and they reformed and yeah. Sammy was playing drums and that was a fucking that was an amazing show. Like still to this day, like people are like what are the best live shows you ever saw? Like yeah. You said a no neck blues band. Uh, like this totally weird array of like, William yeah. uh, Booker. Um. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, that show was amazing. Well, that's the thing is you've got like a, a really diverse taste in music. Like, mm-hmm. when did that come in? I guess your brother was probably yeah. on that a little bit.
3: Yeah, I mean, there was always stuff like I was always the one person that was like, oh, like this is cool. And everybody like, no. Like, I, yeah, we'd be driving a car and I'd be playing like Jimi Hendrix and to a hard push and be like, turn this off, this is crap. Ugh. But I liked, the, whatever, like, Mission of Burma and, and stuff like that, but I didn't really get really deep, deep into finding, it. like, it didn't get to a point where I was like, I want to know about everything, yeah. until, like, I got tired, really tired of hardcore, and um, I started hanging out with my brother again, and I started smoking a lot of pot with him, and then he started playing me, like, he would get me high and be like, hey, listen to this, what is what is it, amandul um, and I'd be like, this is fucking amazing, yeah. like, it feels like a buzz is going through my head. This is awesome. Was it a big deal breaking straight Edge at that oh, point? Oh yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. I, I kept it I kept it on the DL for like a few months until like somebody broke it. Secret sipper. Yeah. <laughs> and then um and then like it was all out and uh a certain person I won't name um stuck a marijuana leaf on my car like as a like a boom like a, a gotcha. Um but yeah it was a big deal. And then like that's the thing, like once you did it it wasn't like, hey that was too cool right there. No. And like you were just relegated to like you're with the other dirt bags over here no mm-hmm. <laughs> don't don't bother coming to our shows again. Like so yeah, it was a it was a, it was a big deal. It was ridiculous, but it was a big deal. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't like the thing like a few years ago where there was like the list of edge breakers or whatever and, like that. I luckily website.
0: broke edge just after that well, website folded. You knew what you were doing. I yeah. know. I'm like I'm gonna wait till this website folds <laughs> and I'm gonna start rolling I'm like True, rolling again. the joint waiting for it to go dark <laughs> and I'm like, oh <laughs> fuck. Yeah. fuck. Yes! They uh, stole their domain name. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, when did you start playing
3: music? I never really played. Music. Well, you played in a band. I sang. That's not playing, playing. Um, I think Oh, oh <laughs> shit, sorry. I forgot who I was talking <laughs> to. <laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> professional musician <laughs> here, Performer. sorry. Performer, Performer. yeah. yeah. When did you become a performer? <laughs> uh, well, there was that band, Change of Thread, and whatever. what's the deal with that band? Tell me. The- I don't know. Like no. every every year, somebody comes up to me, and I'm like, "Did somebody? Are you? Is Alan Funt around here? Like what? Who's like? No one gets that reference. By the way. Um, like, somebody will come up, like, "Yeah, I really like that band. I have the seven inch. Like, why? Like, and it's not like I think it's bad or anything. It's just like such a blip. Like, mm-hmm. there's so much other cool shit. Why that? Um, but that's what punk and hardcore is. Like it's all of us
0: fixating on these clips well, in people's lives. I
3: understand that. I understood that perfectly when like you know, when I started to get really into weird like non punk records and you would track a guy down who did like a re- like a solo record by yeah. himself and you'd go to like some pl- place in suburban New Jersey and be like, Do you have any more of your records? I looked at your address yeah. on the back of this record <laughs> and the guy would be like, uh, yeah, here like like he's giving you old shoes. Like, yeah. yeah, just take these records. And they always were weird about it, and I was like, well, what's so weird about that? But then it didn't make sense to me until, like, hey, I look, change your thread. What? Why? You're, you're finally that outsider folk guy. <laughs> finally. <laughs> Good thing I made those hand-painted covers. Good um, thing you did. Um, but yeah, I mean, whatever. It was a band that... It was basically me with guys from my band Mouthpiece backing me, yeah. and it was, like, swizzy, kind of DC, rock, hardcore stuff, and we played, like, six shows. We played with all the... That whole, like, it was, like... Those flyers where you could just like change the date, <laughs> the same lineup like Lifetime, Dead Guy. Like, we played with <laughs> all those bands, and nothing too exciting. Would, like yeah, we played with like all the New Jersey bands. We played with Greyhouse. I think like, we played with One Hundred and Eight. You know, as one would at the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. One to like again just change the fucking um, date and that's it. But whatever, we did that. We did a demo. We did a split seven inch. Um, that was it. And then I broke Edge. And then we had to break up.
0: <laughs> the sellout that ended the band. Yeah, I know. That, I was hoping Fucked Up would make the
3: same decision, but I'm last know. But I did a classic. We did a classic move where me and the guy who was who broke Edge started another band. And we were called Mardo Fox.
0: Whoa, did that band record?
3: <laughs> no, thank God. That was like our being like we're weird. Wow, we just found out about the Velvet Underground. It was fucking garbage. It was horrible. There was like horrible bands too. Like- Fucking floodgate Indian summer and shit like that. Well, um,
0: okay. Floodgate, double seven The
3: double floodgate seven
0: inch is a classic. You say so? It's got that rest at bodies, bodies rest in motion, and at rest at I'm probably screwed up the lyrics, but we can all join in now and sing the song. You say so. Okay. You say so. Okay. (laughs) Well, Tony, we gotta talk about books. We gotta talk about so much more, but I think we're gonna have to save that for a part two. You're gonna come back for a part two? Uh yeah, of course, Dude. sure. Thank, Thank you. you so Thank much. Thanks for having me. Please give it up for Tony Redman! Uh, uh, Chris and Dave, end the private conversation and take the stage. Over? Yeah. I love
2: that. Come on. All right.
0: How was that? That was great. Fucking awesome, eh? Yeah. I love I love I love Tony because he likes all this like amazing, esoteric, like, high art kind of music, but you can also talk to them about mouthpiece. <laughs> 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 not that mouthpiece aren't the sun ra of their era, but I mean, you know. Um, but uh, have you, either of you read any of the books? I, I've read Why Be Something That You're Not. I have not read the New York hardcore book. Before. Is that because you have an aversion to New York hardcore being from somewhat of a Midwest kind of area? Is Pittsburgh considered the Midwest? Uh, only if you're not from there. Well, I'm from Canada. So tell me what part of Canada Toronto's considered part of. The cold part. Central Ontario, Southern Ontario. Yeah, what is it considered, Chris? Southern. Southern. Boom. <laughs> so what? and What did you guys want to talk about? Anything?
2: Yeah, we had some. Yeah.
5: Um, Dave's crushing it over here, by the way.
0: Okay. Well, he, he, um.
5: I have a name for for uh, for his new book.
0: What's his new book called?
5: I'm a person just like you.
0: Oh, that's good. Just saying. No, it doesn't <laughs> have to be today. <laughs>
5: <laughs> okay, next. Well, the next thing, I X ray Specs, I'm a poser, the B-side of, of uh, the day the world turned equal to 7 inch. Have you ever listened to it at 33 and a third? No. Dude. Really? It Sounds just like. and Not, not like some bullshit just like. I mean... Just like Black Sabbath. (laughs) Really? Really. Like, not some fucking half-assed, like, really.
0: I mean, really. So you're saying that if X-Ray Specs had taken lewds or smoked a shit ton of weed, they could have been the best Sabbath band since Sabbath? They are.
6: Oh, uh, you have a uh, thirty-three. Yeah,
0: thirty-three. <laughs> and don't fuck around and listen to the entire,
5: like every seven-inch at thirty-three. But just I'm opposed.
0: My my friend uh, used to say that the best uh, American oi record was when you took the negative approach record and changed the speed on it. That was the best American oi record. <laughs> he was from Scotland though, so don't worry, America. I love your oi.
4: <laughs> but
5: I'm serious. Everyone who has a copy of the seven-inch. They need to go home and try. Try it.
0: Okay. Any, and is
2: there anything else you guys want to talk about? Yeah. Saccharine Trust got brought up. Crazy show. But uh, Peg and Icons, Essential, SST. Mm-hmm. But uh, We Don't Need Freedom. Maybe one of my favorite songs legitimately really ever written. I don't think we've
0: ever talked about Saccharine Trust, you mean? Surprisingly, maybe not. Yeah. That's okay. And if you took the whole SST catalog, right? How many records do you think you put out? Hundreds? Yeah, hundreds. Do you think you could get fifteen essential ones? <laughs>
5: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Like picking blindly, you could get fifteen essential. Like
0: essential, essentials? How many yes. Sonic Youth records are on there? Four. Dinosaur Jr. there's Well, if you uh, two, you do know me.
5: You can only count like the records, like new records that they made for SST, yeah. and not the reissues. Not
0: reissues. I I agree. That's my rule too. So okay, maybe maybe twenty five. Just two, just two, just, two Sonic Youth records. <laughs> just two Sonic Youth records. Okay, yeah. two Sonic Youth records. How many? Who's gonna do records? Four, I think. Well, I mean, are you getting, Metal
5: Circus is not a full length record, but you have yeah, okay. uh, But it is guess, essential. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll
0: okay, we can Sonic put that in there. I, the think, black, I don't think we're gonna get to fifteen. All but the you're black flags. Crazy. I don't think we could gonna, get to fucking fifty. I all know. I my feeling is that as a kid. I would buy an SST record every time because I'd be like opening a pack of baseball cards. It's like, one day I'm gonna get the good black flag record of this. <laughs> and I'd buy like, oh, it's like October Faction or the Greg Ginn solo band or like some other bullshit. Okay, and second. I get it home and I put the needle Ooh. on and I'm like, I lost again. So, okay. okay. like lottery tickets. Okay, but
5: let's go back to Greg Ginn. Gone, relevant to this discussion because scornflakes the rhythm section, uh, Scornflakes, Sim Kane and Andrew Weiss were in Scornflakes. Then they joined Gone. Both of those
0: gone records are essential. And they were unreal live. So you're saying I have to go back and re-listen to Gone? Because I did buy a yes. Gone Record for $33 at HMB. <laughs> and let me tell you, at 15, it sucked. <laughs>
5: no. The Gone Records are great.
0: Okay, well, I'm gonna go back and revisit yeah. them. Uh, and I, then a, and after Gone, you know they joined the Rollins band. Well there we go. So there's, there so, so it all comes back to scorn flakes. Yeah. That's the root. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the root. Yeah. Okay, well, okay, thank we're, you. We're gonna back, to the, back to okay. the back to the back to the uh, the think tank, as we like to call it. And let me welcome to the stage my next guest, one of my best friends in the world, the person I'm most frightened about what he's gonna say into a live microphone. Let's hope he hears this because I can hear his voice and he's chatting away backstage. <laughs> Andy Kapper! He's coming, no, he's coming, don't worry. He's not going to no-show I'm so nervous
4: about this. You're nervous about this? Yeah. Why are you nervous? You've done lots of these. It's an artificial situation. It's not uh, an official uh, situation? I'm very happy everyone gives It's very cute. <laughs> this
0: is Andy Capper. Uh, he was on an <laughs> no, episode no, where he had to cut out, like, I don't know, <laughs> 10 minutes. Um, but Andy is one of my closest friends. I've known you now for almost 10 years. Over 10 years, love-hate
4: relationship. You just said. No, a lot of history. A lot of
0: history. You played in Dead Wrong.
4: We've both changed a lot since we met each other too.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely. I've sold out and lost a lot of weight, and you've gone great.
4: You claimed Straight Edge, but but like
0: wasn't wasn't really Straight Edge.
4: (laughs) Damien used to claim Straight Edge, but it wasn't actually Straight Edge. Soda I drank. I had
0: a soda sort of addiction. I was up to six on
4: anti-anxiety medication. I was on tons of anti-anxiety pills. I like, mean, like, straight edge. Oh, my gosh. Like
0: this is going to get into a hardline discussion. Andy, if there's any person who's well, going to give a definition you, when, of when straight you edge. When
4: changed cannabis, it was like a... It was a relief. Yeah, you were...
0: Like, weight was lifted. A giant weight, you still know. Still talk about wrestling a lot, though. Talk about wrestling a lot. a lot I more. I know you hate wrestling.
4: You talk about it to about it all the time. I talk about you. You made me watch you in my own fucking house for I two did. hours. Like, it's my house totally shit off. I don't get what it is. It's a masochism. It's a weirdness. I understand if you're into hardcore for your whole life, then masochism <laughs> and sadism come into your life. We... But like, like you'll handy know, watch this thing where a guy drives a fucking... Like, refrigerate through his head. <laughs> <laughs> he just, oh, I was trying to get Andy to help it's me make a, the
0: Deathmatch documentary that I made this year. I'm
4: like, no, stop <laughs> and I
0: it to him and he's just like...
4: <sighs> Who loves that? Who likes wrestling? <laughs> I mean, the story. We have Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks. Yeah, you know oh, what? They have cats... I I had a job in my entire life my Oh, friend. now you're just reading well, we the YouTube the
0: comments on that video, Andy. No, these are like
4: that's the thing about these groups. It's a diverse group of people. I don't like talking about it. I know you <laughs> don't. But you're the one who brought it up. <laughs> as soon as I on stage in case you
0: got into it. Are you I'm not gonna bring it up. I'm not gonna force wrestling upon people unless yes. they give me an entrance. Well, to. That'd be a
4: fucking <laughs> turn-up for the books.
0: <laughs> so Andy, you are a uh, executive producer advice. Yes. You are a director. Yeah. You have made some incredible documentaries.
4: That's what they say, the, the fans.
0: <laughs> the fa- this fan. This fan right here. But one yeah. thing that we got, our biggest argument ever, was over a New York hardcore documentary, which you claim was my idea, uh-huh. I claim yeah. it was your idea, and it led to us not
4: speaking. We, we went to Sao Paulo for three days, made a video, and we spent a lot of time with each other over three days. Got very intimate, especially during this... Sh- the shower scene that was cut from the video.
0: He shot the shower scene with me smoking weed in the shower.
4: It made me feel very just curious. Made me feel really awkward
0: as I'm standing in the shower in my underwear smoking weed. I'm just telling you what to do when you were nude in the shower. I've never been directed like that before, but I, I guess that's what, that's what they all say. <laughs> that's yeah, what they all say.
4: <laughs> so we came back from that. And I was just like, oh yeah, he's going, no, I want to make some more for Vice. It's going to be the history of New York Hardcore. I'm uh-uh. going, I, I know that. I know that. And so, j- <laughs> in the same day, there'd been a terrorist attack somewhere, and or there'd been a beheading video. I was like... He's was leaving up. Like, it was like ISIS were cutting people's heads right. off on stage. I agree. Not on stage, on the internet. I agree. I, th- <laughs> I agree. But Andy, you're forgetting about Lisa one, about
0: wrestling. one little thing that came up first. On the flight
4: down to San Paulo, you turn to me and like, wouldn't
0: it be great if you and me made a documentary about New York Yeah. Like, find a way to make a great documentary. I constantly find inspiration. I know, and then immediately I'm like, Andy, I was thinking about that New York card. Man, why are you talking about New York Harko, man? ISIS is fucking killing people. You're fucking worried about, fucking about New Yorker. Punk Rock, all no, you talking about is fucking Punk Rock.
4: Uh, I turned on you, yeah. You turned on me like a
0: <laughs> rabid pit bull. And then we had to sympathize each other.
4: Just sitting
0: there. I was sitting there. It was awkward as shit.
4: People who are, who are attracted to Hawker music have difficult personalities.
0: I, I understand that. That's I one of that. the,
4: the things that bonds people together. And when
0: you put two of them together, though, sometimes in close
4: quarters. It's magic. I get them naked in the shower. <laughs> you get them naked. Like taking drugs, I'm going, bend over a bit more. You're like, as much as this and like more, you're like, okay. I was trying That's to make, I was I was trying to make the best damn video possible hard. because I, I no thought I was going to on manyvideos.com. And I
0: thought I was going to be able to make my New York hardcore documentary with my best nice friend you know. Andy Capper little did I know that New York hardcore documentary was just going to be used as something to make fun of me. But We are going to talk about something else now Andy that we what do have it? in common. A love of a certain band called Integrity. Yeah. You think both like this band? Yeah. I where do you want me to start?
4: Where did you first hear him? This is now
0: called Turn It in an Integrity Band with Andy Capper.
4: When the uh, well, we were in we in Liverpool. We uh-huh. love all the Jeff Rowley shit. I love Jeff Rollins. Skateboard with Jeff Rowley. Liverpool, <laughs> if you Liverpool is like a nexus of so culture. today in Gorillas. Everybody will playing Boys that? And then because um, Te- we had a basketball pack who had was just reeked with patchouli oil. And Newcastle Brown, and we were like 16, 17-year-old skateboarders. But when you got in the club, because it was also like a goth, kind of like sketchy uh, squat thing, they'd be playing Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, uh, the De- those Death Row albums. Yeah. And but the, the, the security would be like Peck, with white dreadlocks, typo negative, reeking Julia Oil, <laughs> but then you would have the sketch, and it was just very diverse sort of thing. And so we we were just like here with the band Integrity, because they sounded like Septic Death, but also like some youth crew shit. I was like, yes, it was like all my friends together, you know. It's funny, it's crazy. Like sketch, all my sketchy friends. <laughs> it, was, it was our crew. It just felt like everybody we knew in the scene. And then integrity turned out to be a bigger thing. But that's why I attracted Liverpool people to
0: integrity for sure. Liverpool is such a cool place because you have Jeff Rowley, who goes on to become one of the most famous skateboarders. You have uh, Robbie Brookside, the greatest small room wrestler of all time. And you have my buddy, Andy Capper. It was a great time. It was a best, great time.
4: The best days of my life, you would go skating all day and then go to the show at night. Planet X? Planet X. That's one of the. That's like one of those legendary venues that you just would have like the Death Row, like Snoop Dogg or Dr. Dre videos playing as the music in the club, and then like someone from Bolton sounded like Husker Du warming up. What, what? band from Bolton
0: sounded like Husker Du? Drive. Oh, you're right. They did sound kind of like this. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, I want to talk to you all night, buddy. But we can talk about stuff off mic later on and hang out and uh, maybe shoot another video tonight if you got the weed. I don't have the camera.
4: Well, did you... Oh, There's okay. no budget either. There's no budget. She come for free.
0: Well, will you go home later on and watch watch uh, some wrestling videos. <laughs> that was, like, the most... Like, I've, I've definitely kissed other guests on this tour afterwards. Like, you know, and but that was, like, the most... Like, Like, that was, like, kissing my, like... My my child or my wife like it was a very loving kiss right there. So um, before I get too wistful, Chris and Dave, (laughs) welcome back, guys. Yep, Andy Capper. Great man. I've known him for three hours and I'm going to say
2: on record right now, great
0: man. Yeah, no, these some of the most If we could even tell you half the stories that he told us earlier, oh my gosh. But uh, what, I guess first of all, I know Chris, you're an Integrity fan. Yep. But Dave, have you ever heard Integrity? Not that I know (laughs)
2: Love (laughs)
0: that. By a show of hands. Integrity fans? Any. Okay. Well, there's a lot of you that have a lot of homework to do because let me tell you, he's like the Frank Sinatra of hardcore on those vocals. That sounds awful. (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't mean, he's, he doesn't he's sing like Frank Sinatra. I mean, like, Impact. I mean, he's like, got like the, yeah, like that, like that. Entitlement? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I just think like, uh, okay, we're going to move on from each Dave, do you want to talk about your themes of the fight? Well,
5: yeah, so I thought, you know, um, well, Andy, he really had your, had your number. You might have had his too. But that if you broke down both sides of your conversation, they were sort of like perfect hardcore lyrics, <laughs> you know. Sort of like, like I can't believe you're so wrapped up in the scene. There are greater problems in the world, you know. And then, and then you, you were flip flipside sort of like, you know, like we used to be brothers. You let me down, you know. So, so yeah, it was, it was, it was about the most hardcore moment
0: that's ever happened on this stage. For the record, it wasn't like we were having this really serious qu- conversation about world events, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Yo, we should do a hardcore documentary. <laughs> that would be fun." We we're like having like this fun jovial conversation. I sit down. I went. It's like a traumatic experience for me, as you can tell. And well, flying does that to people. Flying does do that to people. It's yeah. like it, I think if bands could find a way to just teleport to shows, they would stay together a lot longer. It's the travel that kills them. Yeah. I got really morbid. I'm sorry. I don't mean like literally kills them. Like Maybe in horrible things, but like, I mean, like, the travels it will make you, it pickles your mind eventually. You know that, Chris. You've been on, we, you and I done. have been on tour. Chris has done all the driving for the past four days. And Why he, is that? Why? Because I don't know how to drive of like a snicker there. Is but it, it,
2: we're in New York. I think that's not... It. Yeah, no. no you that's know, not a anyway, Anyone these else ever know how to
0: drive? Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, the cool kids. Later on, we'll take the subway home. Maybe we'll walk in the cold. Who knows? These losers are going to be in their cars. They will have no fun. <laughs> Anything else? Uh,
5: I think that was it. All right. I don't
0: know. Well, next coming to the stage, it's someone who is maybe one of the most important musicians in my life, someone who has made so many songs that have gotten me through high school, gotten me through university, gotten me through waking up at 5 a.m. with my fucking kids sometimes. Please welcome to the stage, Walter Schreifels from Barilla Biscuits, Quicksand, (laughs) Rival Schools, World's Fastest Car, Youth of the Day, Project X! Oh.
7: <laughs> Walter? Not, not finished yet.
0: No, I'm not. No, I left off a bunch, uh-huh. but I left off one band in particular that I really want to talk to you about today because Walter's been on the show before. Yeah. And uh, I think you will agree, probably the best experience of your life. It was
7: great. It was great. It was probably the bre- best... I said breast. The best, <laughs> best experience of my life. Well... Welcome back for the second best. No, actually, this is going
0: to be even better. Okay, Kiss yeah. that old experience goodbye, because it's here now. Um, Moondog. Yeah. It's a band that I'm sure to you is one of your most obscure projects you've been uh-huh. involved in, but it seems like it's that, that uh, friend that won't go away, because people keep bringing it up, I imagine, like myself, constantly, naggingly. Um, so I guess I want to talk to you about kind of how Moondog came together. I think the last time we were talking about GB the whole time, we didn't even touch on Moondog. Yeah. So how did Moondog, what was the transition from Gorilla Biscuits to the great Moondog? Not to be confused with the street performer Moondog.
7: Yeah, I wasn't aware of the street performer Moondog, but I have since gotten into him. and It's amazing. Someone was pissed... I saw some sort of YouTube comment, like, how dare you call the same... We just didn't know. We were, like, 16 years old. There was no internet. We didn't know what was going on. But, Where did the name um, come from for you? There was a, uh, a spot on 2nd um, Avenue between 7th and 8th Street in the Lower East Side that was um, the first appearance of uh, a vegetarian hot dog place, oh. and we were new vegetarians, and the hot dog was was there, and we could eat it. It was vegetarian, so we would go there all the time. The place was called Moondog.
0: Oh, okay. So we named it after that. So they are the ones to blame for taking the name for the street performer, maybe. I guess so, yeah. <laughs>
7: um, but it was... Um, it kind of took shape from... Uh, I, ri- I was writing the lyrics for Gorilla Biscuits, so I made a tape of the ly- of how I thought the, the, it should be sung mm-hmm. as, a, as a, a guide thing for... Um, for Siv, the singer. Infamously called Walter Sings the
0: Hits Walter now as the bootleg. Yeah. Can you reveal the bootlegger? Uh, Steve Aoki. Steve Aoki <laughs> confessed. Confessed. Yeah. He has a Girl it's Biscuits backpiece tattoo. Yeah. And he told me because I went I met him one time at a festival and I'm like, You bootleg Walter Sings the Hits.
7: Yeah, he like, cool. Shh, don't, don't, no, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. He just told me it was cool. And uh, um, you know, at the time, I don't know if I cared one way or the other at the time, but um, so from doing that, that tape, that got out, and somehow, so I just started getting lots of compliments on it. And,
0: was that tape, story? so that was circulating at the time That's just a, obviously way before the bootleg, as just a tape.
7: Yeah, it just got out somehow. Yeah. And, um, and so, I guess from that, I started to think, well, instead of, um, you know, writing, all, doing all this stuff. Perhaps someone else, and then having someone else sing the stuff that I should just do it, mm-hmm. and so um, got the drummer of uh, Gorilla Biscuits to play, and um, we just did it together in like I I don't know a few days, like just like we rehearsed. It happened very quickly, and at that time, like there was Don Fury Studio. Um, Don Fury was this kind of older. Cool guy, like looks kind of like Iggy Pop, and he had recorded um, the Agnostic Front first record and all the early like hardcore records on Ratcage. He had done well, may- maybe just that one. I'm thinking about it now, but he's you're forgetting like,
0: his greatest contribution to hardcore, the Ruination Seven Inch in two thousand and seven. <laughs> um,
7: there's so many that I probably don't know about. No, you're not. Don't worry, you're not missing out <laughs> on anything on that one, Walter. I'm but um, he's he's just great, and we had a great rapport, so it was very easy to at that time just go to his studio and come out with something awesome and things were just happening quickly. So like Project X happened that way, mm-hmm. Moondog happened that way, Judge happened that way. It was just like us calling them up and saying, hey, let's record you know, Wednesday and we'd come out with some seven inch stuff. And you're talking about it 25 years later.
0: Was there ever the intention to be like as Moondog to be a real band? Because I've seen, like, there's a bunch of flyers, and some are, like, I've seen quick flyers people have said Moondog was listed on, but actually ended uh-huh. into playing, or I saw another flyer that, like, like there was a crossover
7: period or something? We played two real official shows as Moondog. One was at CB's, that was our first show, and, um, it was me, Luke Abbey, who played drums for Real uh this guy, Howie, who played in, in a crowd, or, in a crowd, and, um, Armand from Sick of It All played drums, and uh, it was just like a real spare parts operation. I had no idea Armand played drums on that. Like he, he, didn't play, he didn't play on the record, he just, just played live at one show for CVs. And, um, and that show went really good, and we played one more show, and in that time, just some time went by, and then it was uh, Sam Siegler, um, Sergio Vega, who ended up being in Quicksand, and Tom Capone. Oh, Tom Capone was in the live band as well. Mm-hmm. So then it was the three of us. And then Alan Cage saw Quicksand playing. And this was at ABC No Rio. This was our second show. And um, and then Alan was interested in joining the band. Somehow put the word to either Sergio or Tom that he wanted to join. And Sam had to leave. Because, you know, maybe we're getting out of the woods with this. Uh, no, <laughs> what? You're getting out of the woods by nerding out? Okay, of, It's okay. That. You're <laughs> in the right woods still, Walter. Okay, cool. So I'll just... I'll keep going with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, and so Sam was in Judge, and Judge didn't want him being in multiple bands. And really? So, the Judge, I always so Judge was a serious, like not a serious. I mean, I think they, they were ambitious at that time. They were right? ambitious, okay. At, at that time, and uh, so he um, he had to leave anyway. So then Alan came in, and then that became. It just didn't seem like Moondog anymore because the Moondog songs were maybe me and Luke, and now. Luke wasn't even in the band, and it just wasn't—it just wasn't the same thing. We started writing some new stuff that didn't really fit with that old stuff, so then it just kind of got shelved. And then Quicksand took off, and then I didn't think about it for some time until Quicksand's record came out on uh, Polydor Records, which was a major label. And at that time, someone made a bootleg of that Moon tape with uh, Quicksand's like. One sheet, which is a, a, a something they do in major label uh, world, where it would be all this cheesy stuff about your selling points, and but you don't have a lot of say in what's on. Yeah, that Yeah, just really corny. And um, so the front cover was the T-shirt design, and the back cover was this, you know, thing that made Quicksand look like this real cheesy sellout band.
0: That's also the insert design on the Where All the Children Now comp, right? That, that, yeah, that's where
7: they took
6: it from. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah.
7: So we were on that compilation as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And the song, the only song that I really completed on it was maybe that expression, mm-hmm. which um, was kind of inspired by uh, Power of Expression by Blast and uh, Express Yourself, which was a Madonna song at the time, like kind of going in between those two ideas wow. of expressing.
0: So I guess that, like, Moondog to me is always like the, it's like the perfect bridge, I guess, because it is the bridge mm-hmm. between Grill Biscuits and quicksand, but mm-hmm. even sonically. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the influences that you were kind of getting in now that would lead you to kind of leave the, the Grill Biscuits stuff more behind and go towards the more of the quicksand stuff? What were some of the things I think go- at that
7: time ahead? I saw that in the scene that we were in, it had gotten to a point where there was a lot of violence, like a whole new squad had kind of come in, and um, CBGBs wasn't, like, playing, doing... Uh, matinees I think for some period of time or just the scene had obviously kind of run out of gas to me and that something new had to happen and um, I saw that happening at ABC No Rio and with less predictable sounds like wanted to not the, the formula of you know the youth crew New York hardcore sound had become very um, easy to reproduce mm-hmm. so I wanted to look for things that would Take all the good parts of that and add new parts that would not fit the mold. And it wasn't hard to make it sound really different by just doing a few things. But it's amazing how Quicksand
0: upset the balance in hardcore in a weird way and like brought in, like like you said, it did what you wanted to do. It brought in a new scene. And was there resistance from people? Like, how do people react to Quicksand? Because I know there's a famous quote by Jamie Haybreed, and I brought it up to him on the podcast before. And he subsequently, he's like, no, I don't, you know, I was the. I feel silly about saying that back then, blah, blah. but he said that he, Hatebreed was inspired because he felt that Hatebreed was hardcore and Quicksand being called hardcore was counter to what he thought hardcore should be. And so that's why he started Hatebreed.
7: So Quicksand is responsible. Is, is that a good thing? Like, so... He, he <laughs> no, was he wasn't cool. stoked on Quicksand. <laughs> so he did it as an anti-saving... As a diss, kind of. Okay. Not a diss,
0: but like it, just like, it was his, like, no this is hardcore that's not hardcore oh, type okay. thing. was that a reaction you encountered because you guys well, are a very different sounding band there's other bands doing new things at that point but you know right. and especially coming from gorilla biscuits so
7: hate wouldn't exist if it weren't for me in a way 100 percent, according okay, to so, victory magazine vault issue number okay, two so
0: you're, you're welcome <laughs> um, but it's amazing because there's so many bands that wouldn't exist like by the same token, like it's arguable that Alexa on Fire might not exist. Like yeah. it's, it's like, you know, Hatebreed, Alexa on Fire, fucked up, like uh, Give, like all. Oh, it's amazing, like the the breadth of stuff that's kind of inspired, and not necessarily trying
7: to sound like quicksand in the traditional way. Yeah. Like sometimes just reacting to it. In the I think it's just the feeling that was going on at the time. So. In that New York hardcore scene, which still people talk about in New York hardcore, you say New York hardcore, and it's like you get this image. I mean, I don't know, but most ninety nine point ninety nine people don't give a fuck about it, but for the people that do, it's like a big identifiable idea.
3: I would and say so, it's the
0: only. We talked about this earlier today. It's uh, the only name brand. Like you know, you talk it's about a name brand. Yeah, of, yeah like yeah. A, New York hardcore, and you immediately know it's yeah. like a trademark. It's like a logo. You know what? Yeah. If you're into punk, you know. Yeah. You ask your parents, they do not
7: know. What
0: you're talking about. Trust me, do not bring it
7: up over the holidays. Yeah. They they uh so I think the that Moondog and the stuff that led to Quicksand was just there was so much really cool things with New York hardcore, hardcore because of just not necessarily what it means now or what it you know connotates in your mind when you say it now. But at the time it was um, just like a group of people getting together that had um, there's a lot of diversity and and people the same age looking for the same things. And I think once in a while, like scenes just kind of get together and there's an energy and a power that comes from that. And then, you know, that convergence, and then it's people all of a sudden figure out that it's really cool. And then it lasts and it's cool for a while until something fucks it up and then people find different things to do. And I think having experienced that cool part, I just kind of took that Energy, but not necessarily. necessarily, Well, me and my friends, I can't say that I thought of everything, but um, that we um, had the idea to take all the good parts and kind of launch it out into the unknown. And there was no idea to think like we're going to become a big popular band and be doing really cool podcasts at some point in the future. We were just like dare to to dream, Walter. You got to dare to dream. I mean, this is just this is just icing. Cake for, for me. We've so,
0: already established that it's the greatest experience in some people's lives. Yeah, like I yourself. never thought I would
7: ever get another chance to do something like this again. And then, I told you, and buddy. I told you. An, I was going to leave and you. it's just like, you you know. Wherever you go, Walter, off. I will find you. The work pays off. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, and so that involvement in that, and, um, and I just always see in, you know, there's so many, just like, not so many, but there are particular scenes that you... You know, Netflix is full of documentaries about this one or that one where it was like, you know, if it was no wave, like it took a few disparate people, like outsiders that kind of met each other, that built some little nucleus of of people, and other freaks clung to it, like kind of when you build a snowman, and you just like kind of build it up, and then all all of a sudden the snowman looks awesome, and then the sun comes and melts that fucker, and it's just... You know, and then you're like, "What about that snowman back last Christmas? That but, was great." But then that snow melts into the grass, and the flowers it grow. The flowers. And then, then, it, then, it's just that's it. The snowman metaphor of hardcore. Yeah. I haven't smoked weed in like three days, too. <laughs> Chris will refute that because I
0: used a vaporizer last night. But anyone who really <laughs> smokes weed knows that a vaporizer does not
7: cut it. Yeah, it's a different thing. It's a different thing. Yeah. Not, but we're both still edge, so we don't... <laughs> yeah, it's funny, the Breaking Edge thing. I got on the, the Breaking Edge website. You got... They put you on there? Yeah, it's not like anybody caught me. They just said, he must have done it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just look at him. He's done it. Don't worry. There's this guy named
0: from... Uh, uh, I think he ran the Quicksand fan club for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be uh, no, 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 Chris,
7: Chris Rowe, I think.
0: Chris Rowe? Yeah. And they came down to Hawaii to see you guys yeah, play? Yeah, Chris.
7: And you're like, you're... Uh, rolling up which the show did not happen. No, the show the did not happen. They, this, this really sweet guy from Canada who's, who's an awesome friend of mine to this day like flew all the way to Hawaii to see quicksand play and the show got canceled So we went <laughs> surfing instead and uh, the story that friend. I
0: heard then you can say this might not be true But as John Ford says print the yeah. legend uh-huh. um, uh, you were rolling up a cigarette um, mm-hmm. and uh, you turn to him and go hey Start today.
7: Ah uh, <laughs> Is that true? I might have said that. There's no way I said that. No <laughs> way. I would never take Gorilla Biscuit's name in vain like that. <laughs> kidding me. Oh. But uh but that was a fun trip. That was an amazing trip. Yeah. Well
0: Jonah Ray. Yeah. also that trip yeah. changed his life.
7: Yeah. That it was it's that was magic. I mean I remember that remember that trip for I mean when you go to Hawaii that was maybe the first time I went. It was an awesome trip. Yeah, Jonah was great.
0: That might be one of those moments where you're glad the show got cancelled.
7: I was absolutely <laughs> glad. Yeah. I was, oh, you don't have to
0: play a fucking show. I was awesome.
7: super into not playing, uh, so that that was a great time. But, uh, but yeah, all that stuff is just—it's uh, just interesting how it keeps it continues to resonate and kind of reinvent itself, and um, somehow they keep just getting uh, new stuff out of it, you know. And, and I see when I when I go to hardcore shows now, you know that people are into it. The bands like Gorilla Biscuits and, and Youth Today, we're ripping it. Like, we're doing great, putting on great shows and, and this wide. If you've ever seen this guy play bass, Oh, trust great. me, it's next level. Oh,
0: he's doing
3: it. moves, he's doing spins,
7: jumps, everything. Yeah, I love it. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's amazing, and there's so many new bands that, um, you know, you're mute with Fucked Up and like how it can, which in a way like is the same thing. You're taking the, the, the power of that that music and the energy and the culture, which I think is so connected to how to live in this modern age, you know what I mean? Do it yourself, figure out how to, you gotta hustle nowadays. To, there's no one's gonna hand you anything. And I think that that was the spirit of, of hardcore. And, and I think like taking that idea and that feeling and that energy and um, manipulating it and getting your friends involved and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it maybe still runs through the same cycles, but it's just, it's just in the, it's in there, mm-hmm. hardcore. Mm-hmm. Got a good name? Hardcore Lives.
0: Yeah. Hardcore lives. Yeah. Well, Walter, I, I want to talk to you forever, but hopefully, we can do a part three. I'd love to. let The okay.
7: prequel, the, pre- the trilogy. Let's just keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. We're good.
0: We're gonna do a redux. We're gonna do the first one over. Again. Yeah, yeah. Let's
7: get some CGI. <laughs> With different in. people instead of us doing it. Robots doing the voices. <laughs> yeah. The part of Walter, I didn't like. I didn't like my voice in that one. We need a robot to do. The part it. of Walter will be played by Jamie Hapred in the next one. The <laughs> yeah. part of Damien will be played by Walter. That would be good. We should get Jamie and I together and just have some sort of like you know, you know he, peace he, moment. He, he,
0: no, he he definitely was like, yeah, I was a kid. I, like you know, I don't you yeah. know like he respects him. But at the same time, I think I think it's awesome that. All you can hope to do as an artist is produce something that makes people react. Yes. You know? And and to th- and even if it's a reaction that isn't the one you necessarily hope for, which in most of my music is moshing and singing along, yeah. it's still like you created something. Having an of, effect. Yeah, you had an effect. effect. And, right. yeah. and, and like, that effect affected, like it's like a butterfly effect, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so, I know also like before you go, because there's just so much stuff you do. Like you have, like you're almost an auteur, like musician. Like oh. you've got so many different projects. Yeah. Is it like hard to have to start new projects all the time, or is
7: there like I guess now you're doing other you're doing some older stuff? I again. find it just I'm more curious and more interested in doing as much as I possibly can because uh, I'm in a position where I can I can you know so mm-hmm. I think that's a very special thing and uh, it's just working with different people you know working collectively to come up different ideas just kind of having an idea about something and then watching that thing become. Real and not just the music, but just you know, you're in a band, you realize like how you have to enjoy like every aspect like booking the rehearsal, getting the van, organizing, picking up this thing, picking up that thing, you know, keeping your spirits up when things are tough, like all that kind of stuff is just an awesome adventure and uh, and so I, I just get into it. I, I would want more. Well, I want more too, buddy. Yeah. Alright, we'll yeah. do part three? Yeah, let's do it. Walter Schreifels,
0: everyone. Okay. <laughs> Person, Where's the theme music? That was the theme music. When we don't want to play the... the oh. yeah, we don't have enough bumpers to go around. We don't want to waste everyone's time with that. So tell me a little bit about what you thought of that interview. Oh,
5: that was great.
2: That's what you're always going to hear. We're going to be
5: like, that's great.
0: You
2: go right
5: in video. the comments. I'm not looking for like, a, I'm
0: not looking for a little bit of an ego boost. You uh, go right into the comments. Well, um, I thought it was good that, like, you know,
5: I so... Moondog, I'd never heard them, but uh, you know, of course like the pathetic inner me, is like, yeah, whatever Moondog, I mean like, you know there's another Moondog. Uh, <laughs> so, it, he said then, that and, then you, and then you hear that story and you're like, oh yeah, I'm a dick. Yeah. <laughs> he said that to me as
2: you said, let's talk about Moondog, and then he's yeah. like, yeah, and then I, like as yeah. Dave's saying it, Walter's like, yeah, yeah I didn't realize there later on. Yeah, and and like, then, <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> we were just, kids, and
5: then you're like, yeah, of course, like, I'm. Oh, it's blown up. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm a dick is kind of the theme of uh, that segment. <laughs> well, no arguments here, Gabe. No, I'm just kidding. Chris.
2: <laughs> I was just going to tell an anecdote. Well, first of all, thank you for hate-breaking, but also on the back of that, um, I have an anecdote because uh, Damien, the first time you met Walter, maybe Very maybe first. Not. No, 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 no. no that is the first.
0: Chris. It was? Oh, 100%. Well, I,
2: you, you're a very uh, excitable young man, so I thought maybe you had tr- at one
0: point in t- time. How t- patronizing. Uh-huh. Young man, dude. When he you sing that like t- I thought Warped Tour 1, you probably had tried to talk to him or did. No, no. Right? At Warped Tour 1, he, I saw him play. Yeah. And uh, it was awesome, but uh, he did not mingle with us <laughs> commoners. I, I had to meet the swinging Utters in Tilt instead. Uh, oh, not bad. <laughs> But uh, the first time Damien met Walter, I was
2: sort of central to that meeting, but uh, I also want to tell the anecdote of like how pathetic I am as like a record collecting nerd guy. Uh, Walter signed an original copy of Quicksand Slip for the nerds, and also uh, a bootleg copy of Project X, which I feel shameful to own to a point. Damien has an original, which Walter signed. Uh, but I got Walter to sign for the very first time a copy of the Project X and the quicksand in my driveway. And I do not live in New York, I live well in Welland, Ontario. I live, yeah, well that's- So Walter was on there. a major market tour so you're No, I was about. like, he was, yeah. We have- Hanging of, out. Yeah, but it was like kind of interesting.
5: Either way, that was
2: my idea. Where's
1: that coming from?
5: I'm doing a noise set, sorry. Okay, <laughs> I didn't tell you. Me and Dave, we started a noise
2: band over there, we called, uh, Wolf Eyes
0: 2. And uh, yeah, we're doing our thing. Okay, I understood. You guys, you guys feeling it? No? Alright. Alright guys. Well we got we got two more amazing guests. Yeah. Two people that have uh, uh, you know inspired me in very different but in both in really important ways. So uh, next, welcome next, welcome to the stage, my good friend Meredith Graves! another entrance. You threw me off when you came out the other side. I was like waiting and then.
6: I'm not just pretty Damien, I'm innovative.
0: (laughs) That's the whole thing about music. You got to be innovative now, right? You got to do it. You're one of the first guests that ever came on this little podcast here.
6: That's wild.
0: And now you're back for part two.
6: Better than ever. Better than ever.
0: Um, It's been an amazing two years for you.
6: It's been an amazing two years for you.
0: I just made a baby, but that's all the bullshit I did. Like, that, you... But
6: it's a great... It's a quality baby. It's
0: a quality baby. Yeah. And he's amazing. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. Camden, all thanks to my wife. I didn't put too much into him, <laughs> apart from just like the... Uh, he's going to have to deal with my <laughs> emotional problems later on. <laughs> that's, that's my gift to the kids.
6: Hey, guess what, guys? Surprise! I can't wait to go see my parents next week for the holidays. <laughs> I know.
0: I know. It's like... The t- holidays are a weird moment when you're a parent because you have to be on the best behavior with your parents because you don't want your fucking kids to see, you know... Oh,
6: is that how you're supposed to do it? Because if so, I'm going to have to have a word with my parents.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got it from somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Well, me too. But, Meredith, it's been an amazing year. You, you started working at MTV. You. you met fucking Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Became like a, an internet phenomena. It was it was like it was amazing. Like I'm like watching like mainstream like Canadian news.
4: I'm like, is
0: that Marathon? <clears throat> TV? I didn't I didn't watch the video awards until after, and then I'm like, whoa. So were you did you always want to be in this kind of line of work or this world? Or was this something that just kind of fell into your lap?
6: Well, it's it's amazing because honestly, I feel like whether we're joking about you being a dad or the last time that we did this show together when I was talking extensively about my dad and the role that he had in my musical upbringing, Mm -hmm. you know, in addition to just being the guy who got me into hardcore, my dad is a television broadcast journalist. So I grew up with a mother who was a singer who was on stage every night doing musical theater and a father who prior to like, (laughs) my mom and I would be home all day watching The Young and the Restless and we'd turn the news on, watch my dad live, count to about 20 minutes, he'd come in the door and my mother would leave for rehearsal. So, like, (laughs) did I have a choice of being in this line of work is a better question. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that is a better question. Is it a fucking blast? Yeah. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, it's awesome. But, yeah, it's uh, as surprising... It's as surprising to me that I'm on television now as it was at French Legation three years ago when suddenly my band was playing a show with Fucked Up. Like, this is as surprising as band stuff. It's all... Very exciting, and every day I'm just more and more like incredibly weirded out that I'm still allowed to do this. So. I was
0: in the uh, uh, junior varsity version of MTV in Canada called Much Music. I'm a failed DJ. They, I they, uh, thank you. I killed that show. I killed that channel. They dropped music from the name and changed it to as much. I'm not lying about that. They did that after they fired me. I don't think it was just my fault, though. But um, I noticed there; I found it hard to kind of—I don't know—like maybe it's just the environment that they had there. But to kind of find what I wanted to do there, my kind of place there. But you seem to have done it. You know, you found like a way to kind of like make your own groove in that thing. Like, was that a struggle, or is that something that you have the people there that are willing—they—they want you to kind of make your own way, or?
6: Yeah, I mean, you know. My boss is Jessica Hopper. Yeah. <laughs> Jessica Hopper is my fucking boss. Like she hired me because she knows that prior to this my like real journalistic bent was something I would photocopy 40 copies of and that would be it. Mm-hmm. Like she wanted my like 40 photocopy zines on mtvnews.com. <laughs> like that's all I've done since I've been there. It's really really great. Yeah, it's it's super liberating um and this, again, is something that I feel like we've talked about before. I'm, this is absolutely remarkable. I love it. We're in an environment there, like ones you and I have talked about previously also, finding comfort in being amongst adult, other adult nerds. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that's really cool. It's a really encouraging environment. So, like, yeah, it's MTV, and the hilarious troll about it is, like, the fact that today I published a big thing on death Grips.
0: On MTV? Yeah, and it's like,
6: it's a lot of fun to, I did a, when we still thought the election was funny, I did this huge thing called hardcore after Trump, where I just ran down for the 14 year olds of the Midwest, like a list of traditional like anti-politician specific hardcore. So like, yeah, it's really fun. Little
0: did you know how important that list would become.
6: Yeah, and I was in Times Square on election night live with like 22.9 million people watching. It was terrifying.
0: So, yeah. You know, obviously as a Canadian, you know, I'm watching that on the news Mm -hmm. and I have a distance from it, both Mm -hmm. physically and I guess emotionally. What's it like being in Times Square when that's all going on? Well,
6: what what it's like for anyone and what it's like for me are very, very different. Because for me, it's not only like, I'm on live television interviewing people, this is my job, but in that particular instance, I didn't have an in-ear microphone, and so they were throwing to me with about five seconds' notice, and whereas everyone else was up in the TRL studio, I was facing the studio watching the news come in from the wall. Yeah. So as Florida was coming in, as California was coming in, I was, you know, reading this off, and I was kind of in a position to be like, things are going very poorly out here, and like kind of turned back to the studio. But there wasn't a lot of communication. I um, generally regard american democracy like fantasy football
0: okay
6: (laughs) you know what i mean like we're we're we live in the united global states of exxon mobil and pfizer so like whichever person they want to put at the helm of this sinking battleship i'm like great with i don't really care but then you realize that not everyone feels that way when you're out in the thick of it and suddenly when there's lights blasting in your face because you're on live television I started to see like reflections and we were talking about like, oh, maybe it's time to go back inside. Like the election's turning, we're gonna have to pivot our coverage. I couldn't really see what was going on because I was in these camera lights and then I realized the flashes I was seeing were lights reflecting off of badges Mm -hmm. and security was moving in. And as we were (laughs) leaving, it was like people in red hats, flooding Times Square. So it's really scary. It's a very real wake up call if you're the kind of person who really like considers democracy like fallacious. Mm-hmm. And then the intensity of actually being confronted with the politics in person—it's a lot.
0: Is it I hard to mean, maintain composure in those moments? Like I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just covered in bullshit and fluff stuff. So, <laughs> like.
6: I mean, retaining your composure on camera, period, regardless of the material you're covering. Like it's—it's it's easy to forget. Like I think I'm a total boner. I don't know why I'm employed, but I forget that people are more afraid of public speaking than death. Mm-hmm. And so if I was just born like devoid of whatever synaptic response is required to get scared when they turn on camera, like it feels like a service to provide almost, like to be a sort of, like, you retain your composure if, I, I, really I can only speak for myself and I'm very, I've been on TV for all of eight months, like it's so new to me. But the way I see it is, um, our primary audience is young teenagers. We talk to a lot of kids who are between the ages of 12 and 18. Kids between the ages of 12 and 18 don't need to see a panicked adult because panicked adults are the people who punish those kids in their everyday life. They're their teachers, they're their parents, they're the avatars of the system. There has to be somewhere, and there has to be someone or someones because I mean, the people that I work with are like echelons over my head. There have to be people who represent like a voice of reason. There have to be people who will come in and talk about things like legalization and decriminalization, or the possible Trump administration, immigration law, medical law, uh, racism, transphobia. These topics that are so important to kids, these topics that, like they're not topics that are important to kids. They're topics that affect everyone's lives every day, and we need to start treating young teenagers like adults. The proof of concept here is in how many of my coworkers and I feel like, um, the word that I've been using for it is trauma translator. It's a a responsibility to take the horrors of the world and make them accessible, comprehensible, legible to anyone who might be watching, most of whom are young. So how do I retain my composure in those moments is that, as again we've discussed, I remember being a 14-year-old, very rural, very queer kid who had poor role models. And so I retain my composure because I think that's what kids deserve. It's uh it's a respect for whoever's watching on the other end, I think. Like, you know me, you know I'm like nuts and I freak out about like everything and I can't when I'm on camera because because the world is terrifying and the kids who are watching deserve to see something and someone calm. Like who's also willing to say that the world is like a trash fire, but but who isn't panicking while
0: saying it I think that's important It's funny like you bring up the kids and it is like not to patronize people the way Chris patronized me by saying a young man but but like these are kids these are young people yeah. that are, and this is like the first point of contact with a popular culture of their own mm-hmm. for a lot of these people so that must be like do you had do you have kids now coming up to you and talk to you about stuff on like you know in the city and things like that
6: It's actually been really funny to watch the trend because I mean I dress like a fucking intoxicated circus clown, like I'm pretty obvious. And so Look at these shoes. We, yeah, we <laughs> are, are actually, issues. we didn't do this on purpose, but you can't see radio. What
0: dress are you wearing? I have a couple different colors of shoes. <laughs> yeah, so
6: yeah, we totally called each other. Um, yeah, the the territorial shift from two years ago when I moved to New York, when kids would occasionally come up to me and be like, oh, I've seen your band. And I'd be like, oh, wow, thank you. Like, I'm scared. I don't know how to respond to that. And like the way that it's moved away, like the overlap between kids saying, oh, I saw it. I got my head kicked in at your band's show. Now being like, I saw you talking to Beyonce. Yeah. Sometimes it's the same kid. That's when it's great. That's when it feels like extremely fulfilling is when a kid is like, I got my head kicked in at a perfect pussy show. Loved your interview with, uh, you know, Twista. <laughs> so, whatever, I don't know Again, like, how, how do I live this life? I don't understand how I got so lucky
0: but. Who's, like, the coolest person Like, obviously, you know, Beyonce But, like, who's the person that surprised you the most That you've interviewed so far?
6: Oh, God I've interviewed, I've been really lucky I've gotten to talk to some, like Well, my first interview ever, not for MTV But when I accidentally became a journalist Like, total fucking hack Was, um, Anime Okay. And she was amazing. We got together for Cokes in the lobby of the Bowery Hotel, one of my heroes, like with her like orchestral work. So that was great. Uh, since I've been at MTV, talking to Tori Amos around her scoring work for the release of Audrey and Daisy, the film about uh, the effect of the internet and social media on uh, sexual assault cases in high schools in America. I interviewed her prior to the release of the film. That was really cool. She's a hero of mine. A yeah. week later, I got to interview Kathleen Hanna for a different project. That was cool. But really, my favorite person but those, that I'm I... Sorry, I,
0: not to cut you off, but those ones surprised you, right? Were they surprised? I'm sorry, like... I'm,
6: it's not, I, I don't know. Like, I always think I'm going to panic and, like, die, and then I hang out with people, and everyone is just a person, and everyone yeah. is so nice. But the person who, like, hilariously, the person who, like, really, really surprised me was um, Kamasi Washington. Who I'm a huge fan of because you know I'm also a big jazz nerd. And I was so scared to meet him because I just looked like such a hoser. And then I talked to him and he was so elegant and like cool and really, really sweet. And like I asked him um what the fuck it would take to like get kids into jazz right now. And he looked he looked at me like I was from the moon and he was like, Kids are into jazz. We just have to be patient. And like he's doing all that amazing work out there with Brain Feeder. Yeah. I don't know. He was really remarkable. He was probably, like if I had to pick a favorite, you know, he's really good. He's a really good guy.
0: Well, Meredith, you're one of my favorite people to interview in the whole world.
6: Thank Can we do a part three sometime? I thought like, this would be part three. Oh, it is? Didn't we have to split the, the first one? was so long, we, No, the first spirit. one was one
0: episode. We put that yeah. up as one episode. And then technically we did do a second one we hung out in a record store all day.
6: Oh yeah, that was the last time I saw you. Yeah,
0: yeah, but that, didn't really count. Like, this is the but part But it was two. really fun. It was, I was that fucking was, awesome.
6: that, I know, I've got, that was the day that I was in Toronto with no cell service, and I was on my way to meet you. My cab driver actually almost killed someone on the way there, and I walked in, panic-stricken, terrified that I was late, worried I had upset you, and said, my cab driver almost hit someone, I don't have any Canadian money, and I figured it out, oh my god, I'm so sorry. And you paused for about five seconds, and you were like, you wanna smoke some weed? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happened. And it was great. It was great. I had. <laughs> Meredith,
0: that was fucking awesome. Thank you so much Thanks for being so on the bad. show. And uh, part three is to come soon. Yeah, whenever you want. Awesome, bud. Meredith, <laughs> Meredith, <Grant>, everyone. <laughs> Dave ran to grab some emergency uh, replenishments for these guys. Yeah, those my glasses. I threw them over there, and uh, Chris Chris is like not just a co-host; he's also a babysitter because he and I have both realized that I don't have a lot of life skills, and I leave things everywhere, and I lose things all the time. Those were his glasses on the floor. Yes, that I could have easily stepped. They in. saw me do it for dramatic effect. I threw them back there, and uh, it was it was awesome. We can all agree that it was awesome. <laughs> All right, welcome back, everyone. What, uh, guys? First points. Dave, you, me. Um, where were you? Where did you watch the election? I,
5: I was. I just had a bad feeling. I went to bed. <laughs> election talk makes me very sad. Yeah, and that's it's kind of just like so sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, get back to the peanut yeah, gallery, yeah. gentlemen. Let's get the best yeah. of here. Next up, the person that inspired this whole fucking podcast. This is someone who, uh, you know, changed my life in a real way. Like, I was just someone who was miserable on tour, existing in my own little world, listening to my mixtapes, and then I discovered a little thing called The Best Show and had my mind open to a whole universe that... Uh, I I can credit for keeping me on the road, because as Dave said, the road is tough, and I relied on this man's smooth, velvety voice to carry me through those tough, (laughs) tough times. Please welcome the stage, from the best show, and also the guy who put up the good horsey 7-inch, Tom Sharpley!
1: (laughs) Hi. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thanks for having me back. (laughs) I'm so nervous that... Are you nervous? Oh, I'm so scared (laughs) that Dave is going to grill me with his notepad. He's like, he's got (laughs) his hat. He's ready. He's writing down right now. He's like, The Good Horsey single is actually a (laughs) three-label co-release. So...
0: Uh, obviously, you know, coming back here, I reached out to you, was like, can you please come do this thing? uh uh-huh. You agreed, but I had an ulterior motive, Tom. Uh-huh. I had to invite you here to apologize to you. What's that? Why? I think that my slight, small tinch of a <laughs> involvement in the Best Show universe yeah. helped create a rift. It opened a hellgate in Newbridge.
6: Okay. And out of
0: that hellgate yeah. has come professional fucking wrestling to the best show yes. you You did it. Finally. Yes. Wrestlers yes. are a component of yes. the show. You, well not even wrestlers are a component. Members of the best show
1: are now wrestling managers. Wrestling <laughs> managers. Yes. You you've done it. It's like yeah it's like uh, you took the thing you loved, and you squished it. Made it better. <laughs> it. Yes, you hugged it too hard. <laughs> now it's dead, because you added wrestling to it. No, it's fine, because AP Mike managed some wrestling uh, event a couple weeks ago.
0: You're bearing the lead on that one, Tom. He didn't just manage any
1: Oh, he, he, ra- he managed Jeff Cannonball. And who, Who's Jeff Cannonball? Who is he? He's the guy... On the Gary the Squirrel 7-inch! Yes, of course. From Altered Boys. Yes, he's also in your documentary. Have you watched no, that? Not yet. <laughs> I keep meaning to watch it, and then I start watching something else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, it's not that I don't want to.
4: It's you don't that, want to. Okay. No,
1: I just don't want to watch it on my computer for two hours with a hot computer on my lap burning top. me.
0: It's okay if you right. don't want to see another person stabbed in the head with a fist full of yakitori skewers Uh-huh. That is a-okay. Yeah, that. I understand.
1: Yeah. Can I just say also, you don't drive, right? No, you I don't. You heard I heard you say you don't drive. I watched you operate the most complicated <laughs> pot smoking device I've ever <laughs> seen in my life and yet You don't you can't figure out how to drive a car. You had a thing. I thought you were making coffee I was like, it's a little late. I don't know if I want espresso right now Damien And you're like, no, I'm turning this into weed into another thing. It was like it, it was like eight Components you were hooking up. You make it sound like I'm making meth. A car is just this and two pedals Yeah, but then it's also this behind the wheel
0: Doing this, believe me, we're all safer.
1: You could do it.
0: No, especially now that I've got this coffee maker weed device, you really Mm -hmm. don't want me behind the wheel.
1: That's a fair point. (laughs) Stick to your coffee weed machine.
0: But Tom, this is like, you know, you being on the show, you're another person I had on very early on. Because you're the inspiration for this thing, like in a real, real direct way. Mm -hmm. Listen to best show, listen to you. I was like, I'm gonna do something like the Best Show, and then realize that I'm not funny enough to pull that off. So then, what I did instead was, was do this show, and you know, like part of it was the fact that like listening to the Best Show, you kept hearing this punk stuff come up. Like I would listen to the show, and I hear you, you know like subtle references, and so I realized that like oh, this guy that I love that's doing this comedy thing, I didn't even make the connection that John Worcester was the super chunk guy till much later, that is also from punk. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's something that
1: runs kind of
0: throughout the show. And when you were on the show, we talked about how comedy and punk have this weird relationship.
1: Yeah, yes, where both of them are things people do. I think I figured <laughs> what point did I make with it? Punk. Look, people in bands want to be funny, and people who are funny want to sing songs. And it's kind of that, right?
0: Yeah, but there's also like, it's, it's, it's like, you know, Jonah Ray, the aforementioned Jonah Ray... Uh, Tim, uh, Eric, Tim, too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, David Cross. Uh, yeah. You know, there's like, a lot of... I'm leaving out like hundreds
1: of sure. thousands. Sure. Well, it's people just wanting to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're expressing themselves in every way they, they can because you can kind of do it. You don't have to... Every, you can just go and do your thing. Like you say, you can just do the thing. You don't have to go get permission to do it or go get signed to do it. You can just do the thing. And that's what you do now with your podcast.
0: Well, I kind of think that's the thing about the best show, too, is, like, you did it, too. Like, you, very few successful community comedy radio shows exist. You know? Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Well, community comedy radio. That made me feel, wow. No, but, hey, hey, you you community not. <laughs> I've like just shrunk. I'm, like, two inches tall now. I've spent 15 years of my life. I and that's how you to started, Tom. To
0: I'm talking about the Rock Rotten Rule Community call. Talking, Comedy Radio Show. I'm talking child. about Ashon Benjamin's Weatherman Call. I'm talking about that era. Oh, where you're setting the. I was there.
1: You don't have to tell me what I, know. Well, I, that, I, tell you, what I was. Why don't you describe those? Your, oh, sorry. The Major League Comedy Radio thing that you were talking about. I think the, the word community. community is what. You would say community radio, East Eastonworth Community Radio, right? It's it? not community. That's that's a Canadian thing. You're picking up on community. No, it was a. It was a radio station. No, it was It wasn't. You're making it sound like it was like doing it from the back no. of a pickup no. truck, <laughs> driving through neighborhoods, broadcasting it. That'd it it be a pretty fucking powerful pickup truck, intended
0: to get to me in Canada.
1: Well. I'm glad it did. You heard it in in a record store. No, video store. A video store. That's right. I worked in a video store that was like
0: <coughs> the call to best show.
1: Yes, and Colin. Colin Gettys. Yes, because you can always just take a fair stab that the guy in Canada was named Colin, <laughs> right? That's a safe bet. <laughs> you
0: think there's a lot of Collins in Canada?
1: There's a fair amount of Collins in Canada. Wait, this is news to you? No, <laughs> think there's a lot of Collins. <laughs> is this a in thing? That? It's like an American joke on camera. We laugh at you all the time about all your Collins and Ians. Hey, Ian McKay, Ian Simonius, that's you. Well, that's two. There's there's Gords. There's a lot of 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 Collins and a lot of Ians. So really what separates our country is healthcare, lack of uh, really big guns, Mm -hmm. and a a huge abundance of Gords. Gords, Collins, and and Ians. We've got... Dave's and Dan's down here. Got a couple Live Dave's and Dan's. And Dan's. <laughs> a couple Dave's and Dan's right the There's one Dave over there. I'm scribbling away on his notepad. I'm just uh, judging. I'm being judged by Dave Martin. The guy who has spent half his life paying tribute to uh, Weird Paul and his oeuvre. <laughs> Weird Paul? A sucking chest wound single. <laughs> What label was it on? Pop Bus. Pop Bus. That's right.
5: Brilliantly named. Pop Bus.
0: <laughs>
1: yes, the Pride of Pittsburgh. Weird Paul Petrosky. Yes.
0: Pride. Pride. Yes. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Like, it's not, and I diminished it by saying community radio because, but, but it was, but it's like it is a smaller radio station that now has become a huge radio station. It's a huge community, a yeah, huge it's- radio station. Huge radio don't station. Don't worry, I'm teasing <laughs> you. <laughs> Dude, I, I honestly, when I Dude. first met you, did you, you feel my hands shake when I shook your hand? Could you feel no. it? No. Okay, good.
1: I don't I know why I'm that that you. now. Well, I'm scared. I was intimidated by you. You're the one who suplexed me into a drum set. No, that was at the when we were at this Matador 21st thing, which is a turning point in my life, because I had a mental collapse right after it because you're not supposed to spend four straight days in a casino, which I learned the hard way. With no sleep. At some point, you're supposed to leave the casino and not be in it from Thursday until Monday morning. And so, right? You were there. I was there. I went for a hike. You went for a hike. Okay. Well, maybe that's too far the other way. But And... And fucked up, we're playing. You, you and Ted Lee and the pharmacist, were doing kind of like a battle of the bands thing. Yes, yeah, split set. Yeah, and I went up and sang Precision Auto. Yes. And. By the amazing Super Chuck. Yes. And then you picked me up. No, I. Tr- what, what, who? No, you yep. picked me up and threw me over your shoulder like I was a rag doll, which. I still don't understand like how that to, happened. I would like to say it's a perfectly executed helicopter spin. Yeah, you well you did that. And then I tried to reciprocate. I was 300 some odd pounds at this point. I picked way. you, I got you two inches off the ground, and we both fell into a drum set. <laughs> fell backwards into a drum set. That was yeah. That's when I learned I couldn't do the a helicopter move as well as you could. And then you did it again when When John and I did a show in Toronto, (laughs) you picked me up again! And threw me around again! I get so excited that I have to compensate somehow. Yes, you... you Don't do it tonight, though, seriously. (laughs) Don't
0: pick... No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not... not. No. When Tom says, don't, don't, I'm not gonna do it.
1: And also, you said, yeah, I haven't smoked weed in four days, but I... What did you have? Vaporizer going. Yeah, this some a... smoked weed. I vaporizer. You know, sorry to say, there's no middle. There's no kind of maybe on smoking <laughs> weed. Damien, you smoked weed. Did you didn't smoke a lot of it? <laughs> That's the thing you're talking. You smoked a little weed, is it's what like, you it's meant. It's like secondhand say. smoke worth a weed. That doesn't mean you didn't smoke any. I weed. smoked
0: about as much weed as someone would smoke, <laughs> at, like if they went to like a planetarium to see Pink Floyd at mm-hmm. the planetarium. Like, okay. just like just sitting there like, you know, this the air that you breathe
1: in. Yeah, you know, sure. Just a secondhand weed smoke. <laughs> it's like secondhand smoke. weed smoke, yeah. you know. I remember at that Matador thing that was kind of at the early stages of your your love of weed and you're just like <laughs> who's, You were like running around the casino floor like Who's got it? Let's make an apple bong in the room. <laughs> Sandy's got an apple. Let's go make a bong. You were so excited. It was like a new, a new toy. That was very exciting. I was like a religious convert. You you have to hear about this great book that I just read. Come over here, Tom. It's called Dianetics.
0: Yeah, read this Dianetics book with me. It'll change your life.
1: Yeah, you were like, guys, there's this stuff. It's called weed. I haven't done it ever. I, I, oh, I don't know. I didn't get But you're like, I, I was on one side of it, and now I'm on the other side. And who's got some? <laughs> yeah. So that was. But look at you. You look so great
0: now. Well, I, 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 I appreciate that. But it's like, it's really like I didn't try. Like, that's the thing about it. Like, if people are always like, oh, like you lost weight. It's like, I felt, I thought I looked fucking amazing before. So you're Tom. That makes me. Well, you look even better. Okay, that's better. That's better. Thank <laughs> you.
1: <laughs> today, my friend. Fred from Honolulu, who is a caller on my show, who I it works in the office I work in, he saw you and he was just like, man, Damien looks so good. And I was like, yeah, I know, right? He's like, "He lost so much weight. I'm like, yeah. He's like, is he sick? And I was like, no, he smokes a lot of pot now. And Fred was like, that's the opposite of how that's supposed to work. But you were saying that it works. It works for me. I don't know why. I don't know why. I think it's because but for others also. You say yeah. Others.
0: Yeah. I've got yeah. a lot of friends that I've met now because of this cannabis world that I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm in that are like, we're like, yeah. I was. I was. And I'm not saying try this. If you're like, oh, the idiot on stage said this is a good <laughs> yes, idea. I'm going to get off my medication yeah. and start smoking weed instead. <laughs> yeah. Think about it
1: first. Think about yeah. it first. <laughs> but, this might not be a yeah. uh, uh, like a weight loss book you're going to put out.
0: I'm, I'm, I don't think there's anything in my life that I feel confident enough to advise other people to follow that path.
1: You can only, only, only say, does only say, 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 it work for me? Yes. I do not trust this for you? Yes. Everybody needs to figure their own thing out. But if you do decide to smoke weed, mm-hmm. you have to give me a little. That's the So you, you just I need a that. taste. I need, That's I need, like I, you're, you're like the mob. I'm like, keep, keep, you keep just need, Right? You just need a little keep taste. A little daddy. Yeah. Right.
0: Give yeah. A little bit of that.
1: Yeah, weed. <laughs> Give me a little bit of that weed.
0: I'm like, this is like, it's very different when, because normally when I do the podcast, mm-hmm. I'm like super relaxed and just like, you know.
1: You're not relaxed now. Kind of anxious. Why? Cause I. Uh, Cause you haven't smoked weed in four days, except for that vaporizer, <laughs> which didn't count. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Everybody knows that. Well, I'm That's also okay. worried
1: because tomorrow morning I have to fly, tomorrow
0: night I have to fly to Vancouver, mm-hmm. which, let me tell you, is the marijuana capital of the world. And uh, I'm worried yeah. that because I haven't smoked weed this week, I'm going to get too high and not like marijuana anymore.
1: You'll be all you right. right. You'll, you'll, you'll make it through. I've heard that happens to people. That you're not gonna like marijuana. They get too anymore.
0: high and then they're like, I can't ever touch this stuff again. I don't believe it, but I hear it happens. I
1: don't picture that happening for you. No, I, don't. I think you could pull through, champ. I don't think you'll so. still like marijuana even if you smoke too much of it. You can do it. It's like it's like. The movie, Rudy, we believe in you. You can do it, Damien. You can smoke a whole lot of marijuana and still love marijuana. At the end of it, it's the, the weirdest sports movie ever. You ready for this, kid? I've been yeah. ready for this my whole life. Yeah. Then you
0: get over there and smoke all those fucking dabs, dude. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, called, it's called like Stony, the Rudy movie. Yeah, Stoney. The Damien Abraham story. Written by Tom Sharpley, yeah.
0: starring Damien Abraham. We're starting a tomorrow!
1: My, my, my
0: if I can bring weed to the best show.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's let's stick with the wrestling right now. That's bad enough that you've polluted the waters <laughs> with pro-ref. Like, Jeff Cannonball and, and Jeff George. John, I keep mangling his name. Oh, in
0: English? No, like not Aiden Wolf? English.
1: Cause that's the other crazy thing. Like four years ago, this, five years ago, how long? This guy called and he was like, "Yeah, I'm a wrestler, and I'm looking for a name." And then I was like, "Well, your wrestling name should be Dumb oaf. and you're so dumb that you can't even spell dumb correctly. So your name's D-U-M-M, Oath." And he did not go with that. No. But he he's is, on his Twitter. He says is, yeah. it says Aiden English, A.K.A. Yeah. Dumb misspelled. Oh. <laughs> he, but he's one half of this duo, the the Vaude Villains, yes. who a are the very best show. If yeah. there was going to be a best show oh, if the, yeah. tag team in this, be... this was. If 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 John Worcester and I were coming up with a wrestling team, <laughs> it would be the Vaude Villains, who who wrestle in old timey singlets <laughs> yeah. and act like it's a hundred years ago. Yeah. When they wrestle, it's like. When I heard that, I was like. Oh my god, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. That's the dumbest and most brilliant thing I've ever heard. The villains and they have like their mustaches finely waxed. And just those unitards are, it's so brilliant. And then Jeff Cannonball. Well, before you leave Aiden English, you know that Aiden English has taken another Best Show
0: influence, I believe, and is using that now on TV. He has introduced, with his partner,
1: puppets. They are now using puppets on the show. Okay. I did not know that. So they have puppets now.
0: They have puppets. I'm not saying it's 100% (laughs) Mm -hmm. from Vance and
1: Gary. Yeah, I didn't invent puppets. No. But the
0: idea of a puppet being held by a person who's not... Grantrilocalizing it yeah. is that the verb um, very well. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see it too often before the best show in recent memory. Um, I don't think you have to accuse them of it. I'm no, accusing look, it for you.
1: I'm just thrown by the <laughs> idea that these guys are doing puppets in <laughs> wrestling. I'm trying to picture how that that just takes so much confidence to just say. I think we're gonna we're gonna. I know we're in these old-fashioned <laughs> singlets. What if we add puppets to the mix? <laughs> and how does that go over? People, do people like the puppets?
0: People seem to like the puppets. But I think no you know what we need now. Now that we have a best show wrestling connection firmly established. What's that? We need next year at the Tournament of Death, refereed by Jeff Cannonball, we need the Vaudevillain puppets mm-hmm. versus Vance and Gary in a... Panes of glass match, or a buried alive match. That's where they actually bury the person who is bloody in the dirt, and they fill the grave in on them. Uh-huh.
1: And it's, you can't fake that. You guys know that there's like soup kitchens and like other people who need help out there, but you're burying other people alive for entertainment purposes. It's, look, I'm all for entertainment. It's all I do is consume entertainment. But when you get to the point where you're like, "What if we bury this guy alive if he loses this wrestling match?" That does not feel like a line at all to you. Like,
0: like, it feels like a line to get in the door that I'm standing in. Tom, yeah, you're selling be me. Like a Come line
1: on. Yeah. And now I'm strangely. I Kind of want to see what it looks like when the guy gets buried alive after losing a wrestling match. Well, you hooked I, me. I happen to know a beautiful, handsome. And you keep saying things in the way as if one of these guys is going to come out now. No. Like, you're, like it feels like, like you're talking like Jerry Springer. Like you're kind of like one of these guys is going to come out and like suplex me. No, not one of these guys.
0: I have the entire WWE locker room ready to come out here and talk to you about your opinions about wrestling. No.
1: Okay, so you want to see Gary the Squirrel potentially get buried alive?
0: No, Gary's gonna Gary's gonna win.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Gary, Gary, I believe in Gary. <laughs> I believe in the Rodent Threat. I believe in the Rodent Threat more than yes. I believe in anything. And also, the referee's on Gary's side because he's in the band with Gary.
1: And now, just so you know, with that single, it was a single. It was a a benefit single for a WFMU uh, marathon fundraiser uh, a few years ago. And one side of it are these kind of rock rock and roll love songs, which is, it's called Two Sides of the Squirrel. And it's one side is Gary doing these love songs that Coco uh, from The X uh, wrote and re- recorded. And then the other side is a hardcore, it's hardcore songs. And it's one song is Squirrel in the Pit, one song is Squirrel Core USA, I think was but then the third one is rodent threat, which is to the tune of minor threat. Yeah. And now I had to ask Ian for permission. You did. So I had to explain to him, hey, it's me. Who's the minor threat guy? What's that? He's the minor threat guy. Yes, he's think. the minor threat guy. If you look, he's talking about, he's talking about bands. He's talking about the the mother records catalog, like he's naming it backwards and forwards. I think people know that Ian is the minor threat guy. If they're here, they can hang with that part of it. No offense. Please don't punch me. That's the wrestler I brought. <laughs> oh no! He's I, pissed, I knew, dude. I knew I singled out the wrong guy. Did you hear that Liverpool accent? That was Robin Brookside. He's here to show you what it's like. No, no, please. So I had to contact Ian and say hey, uh, doing this single, and there's this squirrel whose puppet that I do that's singing the song Minor Threat but is changing the lyrics to the struggle of being a squirrel is this, can I get permission for publishing purposes? And then he wrote back, he's like, just send us uh, one copy each for everyone in Minor Threat. That's all he wanted, it was so nice. It's so awesome
0: to think that Brian Baker is probably right now sitting in the bad religion compound just glaring mm-hmm. Gary the Squirrel.
1: Yeah, because, yeah, I can only imagine when he distributed the singles to the other guys what they were, they were probably just like, okay, I think we all need to sit down and have a, a band meeting about <laughs> permissions. Yeah. From this point on, it was
0: like a Jello by Afra yeah. situation.
1: We're going to need to tighten, we're going to need to get back on that porch and tighten things up <laughs> here in terms of going forward what we allow.
0: Can I, can I in person suggest the best show topic for a future episode? Sure. Can you do a breakdown of the Dead Kennedys trial where Dexter Holland testified on behalf of Jello by Afra about how <laughs> punk needs to be legit? And it's just oh, just go through so it. We so we get the transcripts? We just
1: go through the transcripts would do a live performance. A lot. It would be like Roadhouse, mm-hmm. but super boring. Yeah. It would be all the excitement of a trial, <laughs> but performed 35 years later by someone doing an idea that someone else asked him to do. No, you could
0: have other people play different characters. Like, I play the role of uh, Dexter Holland. Uh, oh, so
1: this is like you want to go for that? I'll, I'll, I'll for do it. that. I'm a sure production. Well, let's hear a little.
0: Okay, I don't have it here. No, you have to audition. Just, yeah, give I'll me audition. This, this, just, just, uh, just. Well, Your Honor, you see, the thing is, Jello represents an authenticity that is necessary. That's a terrible Dexter Holly.
1: You got the part. <laughs> yes. Well, Tom, I
0: want to talk to you forever. 'Cause this mm-hmm. feels like I'm in a best show fantasy that I a fever dream that I okay.
1: had uh, years ago on tour. As yeah. it always does when we hang out on stage and awkwardly talk. You the only times we're on stage you pick me up and throw me around. So this is a this is a first. No, don't. No. No, I'm just gonna hit you with a chair over there. Okay, you're gonna hit I wanna hear what these Oh no no, don't worry, we're just doing a show over here. That's alright. <laughs> I wanna hear your note, Dave's notes. Yeah, look oh, at one Here's note. This is the last
0: one, so why not? Tom stay there. Why not why not? No, no, you both come up. Bring a chair. Bring a chair. Bring a chair. Please welcome back to the stage, Chris and Dave, for a live critique with Tom and I. This is what I'm Did you notice on the back of the chairs
2: it says lifetime by the way? Check now.
1: <laughs> oh shit it does. Pump chairs, turn out a pump chairs it's actually the network, the lifetime network <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, it's
5: been broadcast will
1: be about someone who uh, was living a double life <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, well let's hear about your
0: critiques of 18 Wheeler Dave I was a fine label I, I bought from,
5: from 001 on I was, I was on board
0: <laughs> 001
1: to 001. What was E W R 001? Dave. That that's was my record sandwich. label. That was my record label. A dump 7. What sandwich. was 002? Uh, oh, Portostatic.
5: Portostatic. Right? Yeah. 3. Oh, you're losing me there. I can't
0: really remember. <laughs> I
5: don't know what 3 was either. <laughs> I don't know.
1: When's Good
0: Horsey? Or does that not get a catalog? No, anymore? that's like 10, 10 or 11.
5: And it, it was it was a release between 3
0: years. I know it was. I, know I got. I actually have. There's multiple colored covers. Yes. I
1: have a couple of them now. We figured that that's what people wanted. <laughs> Different one-colored folded seven-inch sleeves. It just anybody who was going to buy the Good Horsey single, we figured if they had a, if a collector's mind, we would punish them by making them need all of them. <laughs> and, You know what? I can tell you by the stuff that's in my parents' basement, that strategy did not work.
0: (laughs) I I, still need 18-wheeler issue number one. I have that. You said said you'd never give it to me. You said you can have two and three, and I I treasure them. But number Mm -hmm. one, you're
1: like, yeah, I'm not going to give you number one. I don't know if I can give you number one yet. (laughs) You haven't earned it. <laughs> Maybe on part five, when I come back for part five. By that point, that show will be an all weed wrestling yeah. shot yeah. show. And it's always great when part five, by that point, we'll get to me being 22 years old. <laughs> <laughs> okay. part, part five. It's always because, like, you do it and it's the most fun show to do with Damien, and suddenly are like, I don't think i talked about anything past high school. <laughs> <laughs> we talked for two wow. hours. And we didn't get past high school, but that's what makes the show so fun. Is it? That's how what you talk to us about one thing fun.
0: Well, I think it's like like you're in the best show. Like you know, you have a topic, and then sometimes you get off the topic in the call, yeah. and it I comes know. back. You know.
1: So what else were you gonna blast me about?
0: Uh, well, I don't know why. Why did you stay in the casino?
5: Why didn't you leave? It was just
1: because <laughs> where, where what other casino are you ever gonna be in where you look around and then suddenly. There goes everyone in Bell and Sebastian <laughs> playing slot machines. It's like, you have to stick around and watch that, right? Look, there's Russell Simmons from the Blues Explosions playing Baccarat. <laughs> well, I went for a hike. It was nice. It was we, I was
0: shocked at how beautiful it was.
1: There's some very nice uh, uh, landscape about a half hour outside of Las Vegas.
0: would you hike down the old strip? No, I didn't go there at all. Okay. Yeah. I went to the old strip. I did find $100 on the floor in,
5: just in the hallway. Oh, and of course, shit. I was too scared to play. You know what's fucked up,
0: Dave? Because I lost $100 in the hallway <laughs> at Matter of 21. Yeah. Let's talk about that as a show. I spent it on records. Okay, well, I would have too. Yeah.
7: I have nothing else to say.
5: Dave, next point. Well, I wanted the Battle of the Bands. Yeah. It's probably one of the best shows I've ever seen. Um, And I should point out that Fucked Up, without a doubt, lost. (laughs) Uh, Not how I remember it going down. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you why. If you were in a battle of the bands and it was true, it was like you know, both bands on stage at the same time.
0: Which does not happen at a real battle of the bands though. Yeah, Yeah.
5: And one of the yes. bands unless plays.
0: It's AC, unless it's Aerosmith and Run DMC.
5: Yes. And one of the bands plays and then the other band, not playing, start to sing along and, and maybe even play along. You lose. You've lost.
0: Did we do that? Jonah did that, eh? And I did that? I think
5: probably maybe four of the six. Maybe five.
0: There is I no there fucking way four of the six can <laughs> sing along to five punk songs. There had to
1: be less than four members of Fucking. Okay, well, they were feeling it. <laughs> okay, Damien's. they might have been feeling it. I was saying Damien's yes. defense. Five hours before that, he was in at a the, the opening ceremony party in a room called the Hardwood Suite. Which was a casino suite that had a full basketball court in it with a scoreboard, and you were naked in a bubble bath. Yep. <laughs> While
0: once again for a camera, like yes. I, 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 I like I didn't take off my shirt the first, you know, hundred times that I had intercourse. But yet, I'm <laughs> naked anytime someone put, puts a camera in front of my fucking face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Got too real there, didn't they? Got really too real for everyone. <laughs> yeah, you want to change my show, I think your show just found a new path to go down. <laughs> Things you can start talking about Turn a confessional <laughs> <laughs> exercise in humiliation. Why? Why do I need to take all my clothes off when people have cameras? That should be what your show's about now. Yeah. Not so much about test pressings anymore. More about being filmed naked. You <laughs> have famous
0: people that were filmed naked on the show. It's just a terrible yeah. podcast. <laughs> we're not gonna do that one. But uh, yeah. but Dave. Well, I I don't. I, there's nothing else to say.
5: There's I,
1: nothing to say. Yeah. Without you Tom. Yeah. Oh, you're sweet. I just want to say Dave's one of my favorite people. He really is. What a nice guy, right? Chris is a good really... friend. <laughs> Can't vouch for him so much. Yet. <laughs> but he seems alright too.
0: Did I get you in the best show, Chris? I got you. To, I, I, I first played you in the best show stuff. You were else.
2: probably the first person who... Uh, I'd heard the title, but I'd never heard it. You were like many things which we've heard about wrestling being one... Uh, super adamant to the point where I had to listen to it based on your uh, enthusiasm. But yeah, I, I'd known the title, I'd heard and the other. There was another Toronto, I'll well, a number, but another Toronto pal that was kind of adamant. And on the on the road, with, like listening to it in a van, that was the first thing. But yeah, we were the impetus. There's
0: so like a really strong
1: Toronto Best Show connection. Yeah. It was the first city to really contact me and say they liked the show, outside of people listening. Over the radio. And no that, joke. And his name was Drake. It was Drake. He was crying <laughs> that his mommy didn't make him a tuna, get him a tuna sandwich. You realize
0: I have to live in that city. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I want a tuna on a, a bagel, oh. a poppy bagel. I'm in trouble. <laughs> You're fine. What's he going to do? There was this, there was this... Push him d- off the CN Tower, right? <laughs> there, were these, there was this dude that made an offensive
0: Drake shirt in Toronto, mm-hmm. and allegedly a group of people took it off him and burnt it in the street in front of him. And trust me, we all established already that I hate taking my shirt off even during intercourse. I would really hate it being taken off in the middle of the
1: street and burnt in front of me. Unless someone had a camera, then you <laughs> Yeah, if they had a camera, they were filming <laughs> <and> it. <laughs> oh, oh shit! Perfectly fine. No one has a camera here, what are you doing? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, this could go on forever at this
0: point, And we gotta end it, because Chris and I have to drive back to the aforementioned Canada tonight. Don't all get excited at once for that, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh, have a good time, and uh, we're gonna listen to the best show, and we're gonna listen to a bunch of music, and uh, we're gonna celebrate friendship. <laughs> thank everybody already. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Tom. <laughs> I really appreciate this. I have shirts for sale. Turned out a pump shirts. Uh, do you have them here or the inside of the car? Okay, Chris will go grab them if you want to buy them. They're super sick. It's a drawing my dad drew of me. So that's kind of a bummer. You do have to wear my face around, but it's a good way to support the show. Uh, thank you, everyone, for being here. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for listening. Thank you Tom, thank you Meredith, thank you Walter, thank you Andy and thank you Tony for coming on the show. And of course, thank you to Chris and Dave and I will see both of them over there on Footnotes where we've got a lot a lot to discuss this week of course with David up as well. So that will be continued over there on Footnotes. What a what an amazing time. Thank you so much to all those people for coming out and and helping me, uh, you know, finish, finish up a, a really fun tour and something that will, you know, probably be, be done again at some point, like somewhere else maybe, uh, as well. And we will, we shall see, you know, there's, there's future turn up, a punk live experiences to be had. Cause I had a great time and I think people there had a great time and I think Chris O'Toole had a great time. And I think you would have a great time if you were there and hopefully you enjoyed listening to this one and having a great time right now. Speaking of great times. Next week on the show, I have a very, very, very cool special episode. Next week on the show, Cool AD will be on the show. Cool AD, of course, was in the uh, very famous group Das Racist. He's also in the group Party Animal. He's also... An incredibly gifted writer in not just uh, music, but also a gifted writer as far as writing hilarious articles for publications like Vice magazine, but also writing a book. He's, he's, he's written a book. He ha- is a renaissance person of uh, a renaissance person's uh, envy, if that works, um, but he is on the show next week for a fascinating conversation, a far reaching conversation and someone I've wanted to have on the show for a very long time. And yep, yeah, finally happened. So that is next week on the show. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you had a good time. we got some incredible stuff coming up. I'm blown away by some of the people that are coming up on the show and some of the connections that will be made from the worlds of punk to far-reaching other worlds in entertainment, pop culture, and beyond. Yeah, definitely beyond. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Once again, please get in touch with me, various forms of social media, at left Damien. You can uh, please subscribe to this and rate it and write a review for it. If you use iTunes, that would be very appreciated. And thank you to everyone that does do that. And uh, that's it. Um, Everything else, uh, you know, you can hear at the beginning of the show. So I will see you next week. Go out there and make your own culture, because anyone can do this shit. Thank you, everyone. Bye.